crime in me. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime in me. We are in no way responsible for the things that come out of our mouths. We are not experts, although we may claim to be, so don't take anything that we say too literally. We are not laughing at the crimes, we are laughing at each, each other. other. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Crimeany. We're your hosts, Matt and Ange. And we are going to tell you some fucked up stuff. Yeah. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Okay. My story. I got my information from darkideas.net, Murderpedia, and Wikipedia. It sounds sad already. Oh. <laughs> well, my, my tale is called... The mall passer. Ew. Ew. <laughs> I knew you were going to say ew. Yep. It's, um, I have written down a bit uh-huh. further that, you know, it's a really shitty name, but they literally, that's what the task force that was investigating this decided to name. They always pick the stupidest names. <laughs> the mall well, like passer. Your uh, Monopoly one when they are like Operation uh-huh. whatever the fuck. Operation uh, Final right, Answer. Right, but it could have been like so many other good things. <laughs> Who's naming these? They're so dumb. <laughs> okay, yeah, I have a tangent written in here oh, about who so is we'll naming get to it. <laughs> I think that I think that you know police and FBI and everyone needs to have one yeah. person that is like the name. That should be maker. a job. Like yeah, yes, like the crayon, the Crayola crayon color namer. Yeah, maker. You know, namer. I want to be yeah. that. Yeah. Just be the namer of all things. The namer. Yeah. Yes. I want to be it's the like, namer. It's like, oh, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a namer. I name cases. <laughs> I name so cases and crayons. Really cool. <laughs> and crayons. Cases and crayons. And, and actually, they're quite work. similar. <laughs> Same process. Sometimes I just name. mix it up. <laughs> Operation Kelly Green. <laughs> I call this crayon murder in the park. <laughs> Mall passer. <laughs> Mall passer. Mall passer red. <laughs> so this story starts out with counterfeit $20 bills that started popping up in 1979 Ooh. across the states in the Northeast. Bank tellers and shop owners began calling to report finding fake bills. Do you know who you would call? <laughs> Who are you gonna call? Oh. No, how would I? Why well, would I know who to call? I had no idea, but apparently, the U.S. Treasury, right? That's what you would think, but you actually would call the United States Secret Service. What? Because wait, who's yes, the U.S. Secret so, Service? Like the CIA? They're no, they're the Secret Service. The ones that protect the president and the vice president are also in charge of. That's like a super diverse job description. You will guard the president and the secrets of the United States and, the money. and counterfeit money. You got to determine if it's yeah. counterfeit or not. Well, you're protecting their job is to protect the interest of the U.S. Treasury. So counterfeiting makes. So protect the president and the Treasury and the money. 
the treasure and the king. Protect the treasure and the king. Yeah. They're like dragons. They are like dragons. I was just going to say they're like dragons. <laughs> so you call the Department of Dragons. The Department, yes, you call it a Department. See, better name than the Way better Service, name. Department of Dragons. Except for then it gets kind of like kkk <laughs> but then. Oh, oh. But if they had See, already they ruin had. It. They ruin fucking everything. They do ruin everything. But if they already had the Department of Dragons, then they would probably have to come up with a different name, like when they started. Right, right. right. Then they'd be like the assholes, mm. the grand assholes or whatever. <laughs> the grand assholes, the flaming assholes. More fitting. So anyway, the Secret Service is like, hmm, a bunch of these fake 20s popping up around here. Mm-hmm. We got to see what's going on. Well, and in the 70s, it was different. You couldn't just like run the marker over, could you? You'd have to like, they didn't have like all that built in uh, fancy right. shit. Right. I mean, there were ways of of detecting it. It was actually interesting. So on this one, it was they're like usually these little red and blue fibers that mm-hmm. are throughout the bill. They're like really tiny. Um, right. But they noticed like these ones were like printed on top of uh-huh. the paper instead of being part like of the in. fabric. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Were they just and, like, like computer it was, like, paper? <laughs> no, no. They had like basically top of the line paper. It was it was what but any counterfeiter would use. It. Oh, okay. And, give us yeah, the print, brand. Use, Who? Using printing and plates and stuff. And it was like, they were, they was really close. The, these counterfeit bills were really, really close. They were just like a few discrepancies. Mm. Like, like a line wasn't perfectly, you know, a certain shape or something. And these people like detected like, oh, these are fakes. This reminds me of Beverly Hills Ninja. Oh, oh my God. I, haven't seen I watched it so the other long. day. It was still hilarious. <laughs> Does it hold up? Yes. Yeah. yes. It's a little bit uh, iffy, but it's also It's hilarious. racist a little it's bit. It's a little racist. Like, it's, it's, yeah. But, you know, the 90s were a questionable era of movie They were, making. of everything. That's okay. Okay. So, of most things. I mean, still happens. But We're like, kind of going yeah. back in time, but it's okay. It's fine. Oh, Chris Farley. I know. Okay. So good. <laughs> But so like the thing is, it was always like a $20 bill here, $20 bill there. Right. Like usually it would be like malls that like a few stores were hit, but it would be like someone came in with a 20, bought a stick of gum, got the change back. Well, yeah, that's how you do you it. So they're like, right. Yeah. So, um, so at first they weren't like too alarmed because it's, it was, I mean, they were alarmed like, because it's fake money. They got to investigate it, right. but they weren't like ramping it up because it wasn't like, oh my God, people are passing like hundreds of dollars and. At one store. Right. Do you know how much a 20 was worth in the 70s? I don't know. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, like, yeah, like I said, he would buy, like, some gum or, like, a lot of times he would buy socks, like a pair of socks. Cute. Or a book. Nice. And, and then get the change. Yeah. And he usually went during weekends or any time that there would be a lot of customers so yeah. that... There was a line, so they don't have time you know, to like the cashier wants to the hurry bills. them up. Yeah, right. Well, also thinking of like these days where twenty is worth a little bit less, but people aren't like checking twenties. You know, they'll do the thing with the hundred, but they won't check a twenty. Yeah, you just kind of like check it by like how it feels in your hand, and like you know, if the person's suspicious looking, maybe you hold it up to look for the little watermark. Thing. Right, but if it's a busy but day, you don't got time for that. Right. Yeah. Right. And da, 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 da. and usually the the stores wouldn't find out until closing time when they're counting their registers out anyway that it's a fake. So it's not like they had, you know, they could like stop the person or right. 
or remember who no gave them to, the 20. Exactly. Yeah. No one had a description. Well, and, also the 70s okay. before there were cameras like recording everything you were doing. Right. So you just had like eyewitnesses. And if you're a cashier, you An see. easier time to counterfeit. You see hundreds of people a day. You don't memorize faces. You just kind of like it's in and out. Right. And I feel like I have a touch of face blindness, too. Oh, God. Yeah, me too. Where you're like watching a TV show and you're like, wait, was that? Especially in like old. So mom and dad like watch Perry Mason. You know, that's their like five o'clock shows, Perry Mason. (laughs) But sometimes I'll like watch it with them when I'm here. And then I'll be like, wait, they all look the same. Is that the guy from the beginning? I feel like an old person. I'm like, is that the guy from the beginning? Or was that like a different guy? Or where did he come in? Have I seen him before? Because he looks just like that other guy. (laughs) dad mom and i were watching a show the other day it's like a new show and i was like oh my god that's that girl from that like other show and dad's like yeah and mom's like no i've never seen her before except for this show and we were like convinced that she was in another show and then i looked up her like imdb and she was like in other movies that none of us would have seen and i was like oh damn she looks just like that other girl they all look the same everyone looks the same sorry that was quite the tangent they're hollywood standards I just feel like Um, I can't keep tabs when I'm watching, like, movies and TV shows. I just don't know who's who. (laughs) It's an issue. (laughs) Face blindness. No. Yeah. I mean, that happens when you're seeing a bunch of people all the time. Yeah. They all look the same. Maybe. (laughs) Not that me as a hermit would be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The people in the TV show and the movies are my friends. Yeah. Yeah, so you do see a lot of people every day. I see a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So here's in my notes where I go on my tangent about the mall passer, because this is when they're like, we're going to dub this the mall passer. Yeah, could have had a lot of better names. Yeah, I mean, almost reminds me of, you know, when you like go into a store and you got to fart and you just like fart and walk around. I think that's kind of like what a mall passer. You know, I was kind of thinking along the same terms long little mall passer <laughs> my mind went to the same kind of area which is like then they're okay, not going to take good. it seriously because it's kind of dumb right yeah it's kind of silly like oh here he comes just farting down the lane <laughs> farting <laughs> fake 20s <laughs> yeah you got to come up with like a more iconic name yeah a mall passer um so the secret service is like getting counterfeit information. Craig. counterfeit craig we got nah, a CC. it's got to be something with malls. Is it just malls? Well, that's where he's hitting is like he's hitting malls because a he's mall hitting a bunch dumper. of little stores at once. <laughs> and it's like in different states, too. And so like all these calls are coming into the Secret Service and they're collecting the 20s and comparing them. And they're realizing that they're all coming from the same Different source. states? Wow. Different states. Wow. Okay. So they're like, Interesting. So that was in 90, or sorry, 78, 79. By 1982, God, they moved so slowly. This person was making $130,000 a year across 38 states. Damn. By buying like gum and shit. Yeah. Damn. (laughs) Socks and gum. So the Secret Service probably has, he's making like $100,000 pairs of socks a year, too. (laughs) Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like that's it's like your uncle who gives you socks every year for Christmas. You're like, what the fuck? He's suspicious. Christmas, He's birthday. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's National Sock Day. Here you go. You're like, I already have so many pairs of socks. Yeah, 
but he's got a he's got a uh, what's it called? He's got to launder those socks some way. Can't have you got to launder the socks. <laughs> <laughs> also, he could be donating them to homeless shelters because people who are unsheltered need socks. Just a PSA: donate socks. Yeah, it's a great thing to give. But he didn't. No, he did not. He kept all the socks to himself. <laughs> Anyway, it's like, why do you so, need six closets? Well, that's where I keep my socks. <laughs> where else do you keep your socks? How do you not have a thousand socks? Uh, the Secret Service is like, well, we got to figure this shit out. So agents Dennis Foose, Greg Mertz, and Mike Stevens interviewed dozens of cashiers around all the states. Sure. And from that, they were able to put together a composite sketch. Wow. Yeah. And they passed out copies of the sketch to as many stores and banks as they could. And they Wait, were like, all, be on like, the lookout. All these people from different states saw the same person? Mm-hmm. Whoa, this person's traveling. What states? Are they like small um, and close together? Yeah, it was a lot of like the northeast states. Okay. So a little bit easier to go from state to state than it is right i can't imagine paying that much for gas to like launder a 20 (laughs) for like yeah exactly get like 15 back in change or something (laughs) great totally worth it so in 1983 they caught a break a cashier at a bookstore in knoxville tennessee recognized the sketch and alerted police when the guy left the store wow and he was like oh i just saw him go into this other store or whatever so cops were there in no time and they saw the suspect that's amazing that they would remember enough about him to do a sketch well i guess it was enough people that remembered bits and pieces that they were able to like make a composite sketch and then when they showed it to the people that you know, said they saw They're him. Like, I've seen they that agreed. Guy. That's yeah. what that's what he looks like. Crazy. So the cops get there. The guy is still there, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And he like runs for it. And yeah. They chase him, and they get him. Oh. <laughs> oh. I don't know why I was disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I was rooting for the small business owner. Oh, you're not going to be rooting for him much longer. <laughs> no, I know. I that just came out. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't really feel bad. So they're like, so they like grab him and they want to know where his car is because they figure his car is gonna have evidence. Okay. You know. Sure. And he's like, I don't have a car, and they're yeah. like, Well, yeah, I'm sure you don't have a car considering you went for 38, going from state almost, to state. probably like 40 states. Yeah, going state to state. You're not on the train or anything. You've got a car. We know how public transit is here in the United States. You're not getting anywhere. You're not getting. <laughs> Hell no. So, you know, I think they waited till like the mall closed or whatever and it was like the last car there and they're like, hmm, oh. that must be your car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's fine, man. We got all day to sit here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want a corn dog? We're just going to be waiting. Yep. We'll just chill here. I'm going to get an orange Julius. It's going to be great. Ooh. I know. Julius. So good. I haven't had one of those in like 20 years. I don't even know if they're still around. I think they are. So good. In malls where there's mall passers. <laughs> That's what I'd be spending my 20s on. Fuck yeah. Julius. Those were so good. They are good. They're probably like so bad though. <laughs> I think it's just vanilla. Is it? 
It's like orange juice and like vanilla like whipped together or something. Mm, whatever it is, it's amazing. Anyway, okay. enough about that. Sorry, I'm just So they now. grab his car and they bring him in the car down to the station. Obviously, they took his ID and his ID said that he was named Roger Blanchard. But his car was registered to a James Jones. Both sound fake. <laughs> ha 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 ha. <laughs> So the officers were like, let's get your fingerprints and ran them through the system. And it came up that his name was actually James Mitchell de Bartleben. Wow. That's right. De Bartleben. <laughs> so it looks so. It sounds like it looks intimidating. That's what I was looking for. It looks intimidating yeah. every time. Yeah. And Mr. De Bartleben <laughs> had a. <laughs> <laughs> had a previous record. See, when he was 16, he had a felony for possessing a concealed firearm. Ooh. He also reportedly beat his mother on a number of occasions oh. where the cops had to be called. And a few years after his first uh, felony, he was married Uh-oh. to his first wife and he was arrested for attempted robbery and being involved in a string of car thefts, Okay, which he was given five years probation for that. How? I don't know. Okay. He quickly divorced his first wife and then quickly married a second wife and spent about two years of that in jail in the <laughs> 70s for for passing $100 counterfeit bills. Ah, oh, he learned. Mm-hmm. He's a learner. He is. Somehow he ends up having five wives total. Wow. Uh, one of which, one of which reportedly had a disassociative identity disorder. Oh no. Guessing caused by this dude. Oh no. <laughs> anyway, back to D Bardelin. D Bardelin. D Bardelin. So he's in the station, and they're like, girl, we know your name. We're not <laughs> fucking Roger, whatever. You're not fooling anyone, Mr. James you Jones, David Davis. Lieben. <laughs> <laughs> but he, like, refused to talk, say anything to the interrogators, which, you know. I mean, you got to. I'm all for that. Don't you got say to. shit. So their objective was to find where he was printing the money so that they could grab all the printing press stuff and yeah, stop sure. that operation. But they couldn't get any information from him. So they were like, let's go check his car. And, Again? Uh, see... <laughs> his car well, is they like didn't... magical. It like holds all the secrets. <laughs> well, they didn't look the fr- they like because this is during the time they pull him in. They're questioning oh. him. They have his car in the lot, but they haven't like looked at it yet. They're okay. just like, they're like, we'll get to it later. We'll question him. Maybe he's going to give us some answers and then we'll get to it to find evidence. Okay. But they're like, okay, let's get to the car, guys, because he's not giving us shit. Right. So they go to the car and they find things that are a little surprising. Uh-oh. First of all, they opened the glove compartment and they found stacks of counterfeit 20s that mm-hmm. were rubber banded together and each stack had different locations on them. Like he wrote a little note, like I'm going to spend this stack in this city on in this state. Oh, this stack, like he very was like organized. so organized. Yeah. All right. Okay. Then they found like an itinerary in um on the what's it called the sun visor. Yeah. Like, folded up there. Yeah. He found they they found an itinerary of like okay you're gonna first go to this state on this day at this time and you're gonna yeah. spend money in these malls. Like, he wrote down everything. Wow. I mean, good for keeping track, but also bad for when you're caught. Yeah, bad for criminals. Come on, guys. I mean, you don't want to, like, but you don't want to hit the same place, like, a bunch of times, you know? So you got to keep records. Right. You got to be thorough. Yeah. (laughs) He's just doing his job. 
It's he's a businessman. But also well, you'd think like yep. you'd think like since he's like pretty rich that you'd be like staying in hotels or whatever, slip a 20 in with like the rest of your bill, you know, kind of do it that way too. Not just like uh, I don't know. No. I think I don't know. I don't Well, it's like it's now the Oh, he's trying to get money 80s. back. Uh, yeah, he's not trying to like yeah, you know, he's trying to get socks. That's right. <laughs> he's got a sock addiction. He needs to feed it. Yeah. Got to feed it. He never wears um, the same pair of socks twice. But then they found a, a bunch of women's underwear. Uh oh. Like a bunch. Uh oh. Like a bushel. A bushel of underwear. Is that, is that the correct <laughs> I think correct that's the proper scientific Yes. Oh, <laughs> no. That's and they also again. found. A bunch of fake driver's licenses, mm-hmm. driver's licenses. Um, like they all had his picture and they all looked pretty legit, but right. they were all fake. Right. All with different names and different addresses. And they also found fake, li- or, well, not fake. They found license plates in the car too. Mm. Like, yeah, you gotta, some you gotta of them, change your license plates. Some of them had magnets on them. So obviously he was yeah. just like slapping them on. and Right. And they also found a couple guns and a few fake police badges. Uh oh. And his car was even rigged with a siren and a oh, flashing light. No. Oh, oh yes. No. Well, yeah, because so, like back in the seventies, at least in like movies and stuff, they just like throw the little like light. That's up, what he had—the little bubble know? light with the magnet, slapping on the roof, like for like and undercover cops there was, or like, whatever they were. Yeah, exactly. And his car looked kind of like a police, like undercover police car. And there was even just like a little switch under the steering wheel that you could flip and the siren would go on. Oh, no. Yep. So the agents are like, hmm, I'm thinking there might be more to this than just counterfeiting. Uh, Sounds like it. But they need more evidence because all this is circumstantial. Sure. I mean... Maybe he just likes women's underwear. You and, know, you know, he and just maybe likes he likes the sound playing of a siren cops and robbers. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But is then that... it's kind of like if he's the robber and the cop, how does he <laughs> himself? <laughs> oh, it's more challenging that way. Is it? Do you know? Is it illegal? I mean, it's illegal to impersonate a police officer. Is it illegal yep. to like have a siren? Probably, right? I would On assume your car. so. Yeah, I would think so. Okay. so the agents are like let's go to his house and they go to his house and they don't really find much like it said that it was kind of basically a bachelor pad there wasn't really much in the way of decorations it was just kind of like drab you know i mean for someone who's like balling why aren't you like decorating nope he just had the essentials i mean really he's not spending that much time there he's spending a lot of time in his car like traveling around spending money you know True. Like the only kind of weird, well, not the only, but one of the only weird things that they noticed was that there were just like a bunch of little bags in this one room that were just like full of socks. Like all the stuff that he purchased. What? <laughs> just kind of like tossed into this room. Them. Nope. Nope. Oh. And then they walked into one room and uh-huh. they flipped a light switch. Uh-huh. But instead of a light coming on, a movie projector came on <gasps> and it was playing porn. Oh, God. What the heck? <laughs> yeah so clearly he's like pretty electrically savvy he like hooked up his car 
to like do a switch for the siren. He hooked up a room to do like a projector switch. Maybe, except for remember like a lot of older houses, there's an outlet that's controlled by a switch. Well, that's true. Remember that whole thing yeah, at I Mary remember. Beth's house? <laughs> we couldn't so, figure out why the light never worked. <laughs> yeah, I flipped the switch and nothing happens. Oh, it's turning on Until this. Until dad came with all of his tools and he's like, well, did you try the switch? <laughs> We're all like, oh. <laughs> oh, God. So I'm thinking it's more of a that thing. Yeah, I'll never forget that. That's good. And point. I don't know how necessarily how hard it is to like put a siren in your car. Well, like, let's try it. Let's equip our cars okay, with sirens. Okay, let's equip. <laughs> Play cops and robbers. Okay, we can chase each other. Yeah. High speed chases. We'll take Fun. turns. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, nothing really out of the ordinary and they're kind of getting desperate. And well, one of the okay, agents... wait, what you just said is kind of out of the ordinary. Okay, so okay. a little like... out of the ordinary, but other than the like, you know, porn projector, it was just like, well, there's like a And the room of house. socks. I, I told you he'd have like rooms of socks. <laughs> okay, other than the room of socks and the porn projector, they were like pretty standard dude house. <laughs> I mean, this comes pretty standard in the 70s. Everyone has mm-hmm. their, like, porn theater and... Don't you? I mean, geez. Gross. Shag rug and porn theater. Ew, those do not go together. <laughs> Ew. Ew. So, one of the agents is like, I'm going to do another pass-through and see if I can find anything that's going to, like, lead us. Because basically what they wanted was information on where he's printing this stuff. Yeah. And they thought like maybe it was in the house, and but they're looking in the house and they're not finding anything right. of printing. So they're like, we need to find out where he's printing this money. So this what guy about is the like, women's underwear. They're not interested. Well, the Secret Service is interested in where the money, how the money is being. You mean the Department of Dragons? Know, the yes, the dragons, the fire breather brother, fire breather that brothers. Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> treasure, the measure of a treasure. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's like, okay, I'm just going to like look through everything with a fine tooth comb. And he picks up the white pages. Remember those where they're like, yeah, the, uh, business, right? No, the white pages were like residential. And the oh, that's right. Pages that's were right. Business. You're right. So he flips through the white pages. What? Doesn't see it. And he's going, he's going like page by page. Like, cause literally there's like not much in this apartment. So they're like looking through everything that's in there. He's going to sit there and go through every yep. page of the white Because he thought that maybe there would be like something. What a weird like hunch. So there's nothing in the white pages. So he's like yeah. on to the yellow pages. And you know the yellow pages <laughs> is like twice as thick. Yeah. yellow. Like, pa- oh my God. I remember through. like those yellow pages were fucking huge. Huge. So he's going through. They're like a booster seat. We did use them as booster yeah. seats. Yeah. Because they're so huge. Right. Yeah. He So he's going page by page through the yellow pages. I cannot believe and it. He finally gets to this one page that had like just a little piece of paper stuck in there. Oh, my God. Like in the binding almost. So uh-huh. it was just like barely no, just a little piece of paper stuck in there. And it was next to a listing for a storage unit. Oh. So he's like, huh, we should check this place out. Well, I guess since the dude, he like obviously records everything I think that's right. a pretty He's good thorough, hunch that, like, so maybe he, be... yeah, there'd be something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's pretty clever. Like, he thought that may, he he thought that maybe something would be circled or, like, underlined right. or something because of the way that he kept notes. That's a clever dragon right there. Right. <laughs> he earned his treasure. <laughs> so, 
they went to the storage unit and the woman working there, they were like, they showed the sketch and they were like, do you recognize this person? Yeah. And she was like, yes, I do. That's James Jones. And she even said, I was wondering when cops would come here <gasps> looking for him. What? Well, should you call them maybe? Well, she did. You see, she told them that one night after James Jones left the facility and she was locking up, she noticed that the door to his unit was cracked (gasps) open and Uh there was a light still on. So she was like, oh, well, and no one was there. She Uh saw him leave. So she was like, oh, I'll just go in and turn his, like, you know, silly mistake. I'll just go turn off the light and shut the door and lock it and keep his stuff safe. Yeah. She's doing her job. So she walked, she like steps in to turn the light off and... She said that what she saw in there shocked her. What was in there? She saw a police light, a police radio, photography equipment, Uh tools, a ski mask, and other things that looked suspicious. God, she must have been terrified. Right. So she, like, right away called the the local police. Yeah. And she told them. And they totally brushed her off. No! So that's why they, she assumed when these guys showed, when the Secret Service showed up, that like, oh, maybe they, like, they like took it seriously and up. they're here. Oh, but no, my God. it was just just happenstance that this guy found <sighs> the, these, <laughs> the name okay. of the pages. These stories are always so frustrating where it's like yep. people are doing their job and like calling it in. How hard is it to go and check up on that? I mean, I'm sure you're busy or whatever, but like go check up on it. Just send someone it to go peek It wouldn't take that in. long. Yeah. Nope. They oh didn't. God. They were like, oh, silly lady getting scared. So so what? She saw agents... fake police paraphernalia and some cameras and mm-hmm. some really sketchy shit. Oh, well. And photography equipment. Yeah. Like. No. I don't know. Yeah. And a ski mask and tools. And it looks yeah. sp- suspicious. Yeah. So the agents are like, cool, let us in. And they like, you know, broke the lock and they go in. Yeah. And just like strewn about the unit, they found up to $50,000 in fake money, just like on the floor. <laughs> and there were a bunch of boxes of what they just like seemed like junk. You know, uh-huh. they're just kind of like piled up at, on in one area. But there wasn't like they thought there was going to be a printing press in there, but they didn't find a printing right, press. Right. So they're, they're after like, well, their fuck. treasure. They're like, well, but maybe there's something in this junk that's going to tell us. I just feel I just feel like there's like there's hints of human beings lives being like, <laughs> you know, affected negatively. And they're only after like this printing press. And they're like, yeah, this other stuff looks really suspicious. But let's like not even pay attention to that. We're here for the money. Like, oh, my well, God. I mean, so far, they have no evidence of any crime other than the counterfeit. Well, no, but he's obviously impersonating a police officer. Right. Track down that underwear business. <laughs> like, go to the states where he's, like, How do you written track down, down underwear? you go to the states where he wrote down where he was. You go to the police and you're like, hey, have there been any reports of missing women, of rapes, of, like, any kind of assaults? Like, that's how you track okay, it but down. Angela, this is you, Miss Detective, since you were two, Miss, like... I'm going to find out if the Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, and Santa Claus are real. I needed to know. <laughs> fucking having them write to you and then comparing handwriting. Here's ana- the thing, Doing though. a handwriting analysis. Mom bested me at that one because <laughs> I wanted to do the handwriting analysis, but then mom... And I wanted to do the, like, let's both... Hey, Steph, let's ask the... Uh, 
Santa Claus the same questions and compared notes later. And then she like told mom and mom's like, well, don't you want to get more information about him? Why don't you both ask different questions? So mom like bested me. And I was like, no, I'm trying a thing. I'm just trying a thing right now. And Stephanie's like, yeah, let's ask different questions. I was like, God damn it. No, Stephanie. No, that's not how you find out. Anyway. Yeah. And then you were going to do a... You were gonna do a fucking bite analysis from Look, the Easter Bunny. Look, if we had DNA back then, I would have swabbed that <laughs> carrot and sent it in <laughs> with mom and I dad's know. DNA. Jeez, and I'm just like, yay, candy! And you're like, there's something suspicious here. We need to look further into this. <laughs> so, well, you know, I did eventually find Santa's wrapping paper in the basement ooh. when I went down to feed the dogs, and then I was kind of well. Like, Santa can't wrap the gifts. He's got so many houses. Well, that's to what go Mom to. tried to tell me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Anyway, there weren't Santa's gifts in this place. They were like, let's look through the junk. And they found more more police badges and handcuffs. Okay. And they yeah. found what they dubbed to be a rape kit, uh, including handcuffs, shoelaces, sex toys, lube, and a pair of bloody underwear. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> And they found, like, a bunch of newspaper clippings of other crimes in various places of various sorts. He's scrapbooking his crimes. No, they weren't his crimes. It was almost as if he was just, like, learning from other people's crimes. Whoa. Right. He's a learner. We already established that. They also found some psychology textbooks. And a heavily underlined psychiatric book. Ooh. Right. So, I mean, that's... You know, partly why he was going at, at certain times of the day and he would just make himself look as plain as possible and like right. just in and out. He was like learning about how other criminals were making mistakes. And they also came across a large collection of photos, oh, God. which all depicted women in various states of undress. Oh, no. A lot of them looked scared oh. and or beaten and in sexually suggestive positions. Oh, God. Some and they're like, well, we didn't find the printing press. So let's just lock <laughs> this back up and leave. Well, we can wipe our hands of that. <laughs> yep, basically. Not no. our job. No. And then most telling was they found a box that had a bunch of journals and audio tapes. Oh, God. Because he's thorough. Oh, God. So he, like, wrote down everything i've never heard about this guy me either what the fuck so they listened to the audio tapes and on some of them he was describing tortures he was going to commit on the victims and then he would make them listen to that tape before he would record himself torturing the victim i hate this so much i told you don't root for him root for him (laughs) oh god this is so awful this is fucking the worst this dude is the fucking worst this is the worst i hate yeah. this so much this guy fucking sucks what would have happened like how long ago did that woman report that he had sketchy shit in his shit and how like they could have stopped at least some of this but they didn't fucking it would, do it, it i hate yeah this. i think it had been like months i hate this so that. much why do you choose these these are the worst well i was like oh counterfeiting that's fun <laughs> and then it just was a slippery slope into you know murder and mayhem the worst. And I'm like, jesus god Fuck. damn it <laughs> Try to do like a lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Heck. guys. So 
Reading through the journals, it seemed that some, if not all, the tapes were scripted. See, like, I he would couldn't... Write- if I was a detective, I this is I could not do this. I would be like, this is not. This will give me nightmares for the rest of my life. Like, I cannot fucking handle this. I think some people eventually ended up quitting. Yeah. Uh, it's, ugh. So it seemed like he would write scripts and then have the victims read, mm. like, say the scripts. So, like, even... So all the stuff that they heard was scripted, mm. but also, like... You know, you can tell someone yeah. is in terror by their voice. Yeah. In one journal, he wrote, quote, There is no greater power over another person than that of inflicting pain on her to force her to undergo suffering without her being able to defend herself. The pleasure in the constant domination over another person is the very essence of the sadistic drive. Uh, did he learn that from his books? Right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's got something from one of his uh, psychiatric books. And like I said, he journaled about everything, like his plans, his fantasies, like, and he would go into great details about, like, he'd write out his fantasies and then write out, like, what ifs and, like, what to do in each situation if Ew. something happened. Like, uber detailed about, like, just playing his fantasies out to a T. Well, I was just thinking, like, you stumbled on this, like, researching this story. What about the fucking Department of Dragons stumbling on this? They're like, I thought this was, like, a straightforward fucking counterfeit case. And now we're all, like, fucking puking and having nightmares. I'm just used to money. I don't know about this. Yeah, so they were like, uh, this is a lot for us to take on. Oopsies, we're not qualified. <laughs> Fuck. Well, that's what happened, really. So they they were like, okay, well, we have all this evidence. And it's, I mean, it's all circumstantial at this point because we don't have any crimes being reported that we can match to him yet. Like, we, we don't have really anything other than just, like, this stuff. Yeah. And it's really kind of... I mean, we're not equipped to do this, so... No, you got to call an FBI. So they decided, like, it was super important that it needed to be investigated, yeah. but, like, they needed help. Yeah. So they, re- they reached out to different crime agencies and police departments in, like, the various states to help out. Why not the FBI? And I don't know why the FBI didn't get involved yet, but they will. But they're, like, <sighs> basically they're handing out, like, information, like, here's our sketches, here are well, they, I guess they like you go took local, all the local because you're like who are these women right. who reported exactly yeah, so they okay. they like cropped the photos so that they were just like the faces of the women yeah gave them to different police departments and stuff and they were like do you have any like missing persons or any like crimes that have been reported right. that you can match these up just as you predicted an FBI agent named Kathy Kaiser recognized one of the victims in oh. the photos as a victim of an abduction and rape whom she had interviewed. Wow. So she was like, you guys might want to talk to Lori Jensen. And Lori agreed to talk to the agents. And she, as brave as she could, she listened to the tapes oh, to see if she no. could recognize her own voice. That, oh, and, God, that's just like yeah, re-traumatizing and, her. Yep. yep she was To she hear was other able... people go through it too? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. But she was able to recognize her voice on one of the tapes. Couldn't they do that? Like, couldn't they do a voice analysis thing and then be like, is this you? Just, like, protect her. She's been through so much. So Lori's story was that in July of 79, she was young, like, you know, late teens, early 20s, walking home from work 
when a car pulled up alongside her and the guy flashed a police badge. Oh, God. He told her that there was a robbery that happened in the area and that she might have seen him because he, like, had jogged right past uh-huh. her and he needed to, like, talk to her. And he wanted to ask her some questions. So he asked her to, like, sit in the car with him. Oh, so she got in the car and he asked for her ID and she gave it to him. And she said it was weird because he immediately, like, without looking at the ID, he just put it in his shirt pocket. Nope. And then he suddenly grabbed her arm and handcuffed her. God. He then blindfolded her and threw her in the back seat with a blanket over her. And she said that they drove for about two to three hours. Oh, my God. And then he pulled over and got her out of the car and brought her into a house. She said that for the next three days, no. he basically kept her in a closet, only letting her out to take pictures and rape and oh, abuse her. God. And then he'd put her back in the closet and he reported the abuse. He was like forcing her to tell him how much she was enjoying it. Oh. She said that during the time she had only ever seen him naked with a, this is creepy as fuck, a sackcloth over his head with like mm. eyes cut out. Yeah. So she couldn't really identify what he looked yeah, like. Yeah, of course. And then after those three days... He put her in the back of the car, blindfolded her, put a blanket over her again, and he drove her back to the place that he took her from. And he dropped her off. And she, like, ran to the first house that she could find, and she called her mom, and then she called the police. But, you know, there wasn't really any... She didn't have any evidence. She didn't know what he looked like. She didn't know where he took her. She couldn't describe the car. Right. And then another story comes up that... He was accused in Delaware, Delaware of kidnapping and raping Lucy Alexander the year before. Aww. And then he kidnapped Elizabeth Mason. He choked her and banged her head on the wall until she lost consciousness. Oh, God. He thought he killed her, so he just left her for dead. <gasps> on November 1st in 1880, once again, Debar Laban found another victim, Diane Overton, However, she managed to fight him off and escaped before he could harm her. Jesus. Yeah. She, like, she fought so hard. And anyway, she was able to get away. So after his failure to victimize her on November 12th, just like a few days after that, after her attack in 1980, he kidnapped Maria Santini from a store at gunpoint. He stripped her, tied her hands and feet took pictures of her in provocative poses, and then dumped her in the woods. Oh, God. And sometime during all this, he married his third wife. What? And he brutalized... Yep. And he brutalized her mm-hmm. and kind of forced her to participate in some of these cons. Oh, no. She later reported that D. Bartolabin thought he was God. Oh, God. Uh-huh. She was able to get away from him eventually, and he married again his fourth wife, Karen. <sighs> Who was 18 when he was 30. No. no. And Karen was subjected to complete degradation. It was his goal to control her totally. Yeah, of course. And so, of course, she too was forced to participate in some of his criminal schemes. Oh, my God. As did his next wife. How <laughs> I don't do know where like he's finding. I don't know. And I don't know how he's finding people if he's like traveling around all the time. And I don't <sighs> know. But obviously, I'd say all of his wives were subjected to different forms of humiliation, domination, and were terrified of him. Well, yeah, clearly he is fucking sadistic and hates women. Right. And a lot of them said that even after they were, like, divorced yeah. from him, that they were terrified that yeah, they would, like, run to him. Of course. 
And um, the agents believed that Debar Laban practiced his fantasies on his wives, oh, his wives, God. before he like actually went out and got other women. Uh. So you could see why they would be broken down. Uh, yeah. Uh, his third wife that I was talking about went or when interviewed in court for the case against Debar Laban, she testified to him that. Like, to him, all women were whores, sluts, tramps. They asked for what they got. Mm. Great. His hatred for his wife, Karen, in particular, was so intense that he often mentioned her to his rape victims. Why is he getting married? Like, if you, listen, if you hate women, stay away from them. Like, if you hate them that much, leave them alone. He wants to, like, own them, you know, like, be, they are his tool. Yeah. his tool, yeah. But... Again, just leave them alone. If you don't yeah, like someone... Just knock it off. Don't go around them. <laughs> it's not that hard. Exactly. Okay, so eventually he turned to murder, supposedly. I only say supposedly because they never charged him with murder because the cases weren't as strong as these right. other cases. Well, they didn't cases. have to charge him with murder. So there was, like, evidence, but it wasn't, like, as strong, you know? Uh-huh. But it's like one of those um, we can try him later if we find more right evidence. So, for example, on April 27th of 82, D. Bart kidnapped real estate agent Jean McFowl. Her body was later found in an attic of a new home, mm. lashed to a rafter by a ligature on her throat. Mm. She was fully clothed and had two puncture wounds to the heart. Oh, God. An unusual case that differs from his normal MO, but it's linked because of his journal entries mm. and a witness description, uh, like a witness that saw him that resembled him. David Starr. Oh, this is a, this is a different one. David Starr, a bank manager at a local Columbia savings bank in Greece, Rochester. And his housemate, Joe Rapini, arrived home to be faced with a masked intruder pointing a gun he held Rapini hostage and demanded Star go to the bank and obtain seventy thousand dollar ransom. Whoa! Star took what he took, went and took out what he could, which amounted to about half the demand. Which is wow. like, how do you even take that much money out of a bank? Really? I don't know. How do you even have that much money in the bank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But Heck. he was told to leave it near a burned out house. He then observed a woman. This is why they linked the the wives to mm-hmm. help be helping out. Right. He observed a woman driving a white car collect the ransom. Um, and despite Star following instructions as properly as possible, Rapini was found dead later that day, shot in the heart and left in his car. Yeah, he wasn't going to let him go. Right. They saw his face. God. And there was another case of a murdered woman named Edna McDonald in 71, which was like before the counterfeiting of right. the 20s, um, where a 52-year-old realtor left her office for an evening appointment with a Mr. Peter Morgan in Rhode Island. When she didn't return home, a search began. She was found the next day in the basement of the home she had been showing, mm. dead and hanging from the basement rafter. Oh, God. She had been strangled with her stockings, 
with no sign of robbery or rape as a motive. Police would have no leads at all until a similar crime years later that I talked to of the other woman that was Mm -hmm. hanging from the rafters, like, linked them. By the time investigators were done piecing together the evidence against him, he faced 11 indictments, including two for murder in nine states. Among these indictments were six charges for counterfeiting in various states, sodomy, robbery, and armed criminal action in Missouri, Mm. kidnapping charges in Connecticut, and a federal kidnapping charge in Baltimore. The Secret Service reprinted copies of the photos. He never had his face in the pictures, but he would have like an arm or like his torso or like, you know, a leg, like just like bits of his body. And so they sent they sent those photographs of his body to these agents that were they were part of the FBI forensic forensic photographic analysis unit. So. And this guy who, like, coined this way of figuring out different people by looking at their freckles and moles, because he said that people's freckles and moles are as different as fingerprints. Yeah. So they're basically like body fingerprints. We're all little snowflakes. (laughs) Oh. So he was able to match up. Oh, because they took pictures of him while he was in custody. Yeah. And compare his moles and stuff. Yeah. And he was like, I'm 100% sure that the person in these pictures is that guy. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I know when they like make these uh, like advancements and whatever, but then it's like kind of common sense where it's like, yeah, I know like none of my moles are the same as my other moles and like freckles all look different. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you can mm-hmm. pinpoint like, oh, that's exactly in the same spot and looks the exact same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kinda so he was sense. able. Yeah. So he was able to be like, yep, this is your dude. And <laughs> should have got those moles removed. You got to get the moles removed. <laughs> You're going to love this because no. D. Bard Laban decided he was going to represent himself. <gasps> oh, yay. <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> so that's like evidence that he is uh, fucking narcissistic. Narcissist. Thinks he's uh-huh. like so much smarter than everybody else. Love it. Yeah. It was kind of weird because, you know, when, whenever he would be interviewing anyone, mm-hmm. he would talk about... It was like his his lawyer personality and him as a criminal were different people. Oh yeah. So he would often like talk in you know the third person. Oh god. Like he you know talk Uh about the perpetrator or whatever. Like his client. Yeah. Yeah. His client. And he really didn't like when people when the uh, (laughs) like the victims were being interviewed and they would be like you like you're the one that did this to me and And he's like please I'm the lawyer. He would object to the judge all the time, like being like, objection, like they they need to talk about the wit, the um, my, so the defendant like or whatever. Part of this, I feel like, like some of the judges who let this happen are just kind of like, this is going to be a shit show. I want to see what's going to happen. Like, this is yeah, going to be entertaining. Go ahead and try out. it. Because I feel like most, lo- I mean, most judges are kind of like, no, man, you don't know the law. Like, no way. But then sometimes when they let them do it, I just feel like they're kind of like, well, I'm kind of, you know, let's see what happens. Well, every time he would object, yeah, every time he would object, the judge would be like, "Mm, no. It's like no (laughs) grounds to object. What are you talking Uh about? And he also claimed that the seizure of the audio tapes and journals and all his stuff were uh, 
not within the limits of the search warrant because mm-hmm. the search warrant was for counterfeiting items right. and not his hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a good call. But the judge was like, mm, no, we're going to keep that stuff in the trial. Yeah, good. I mean, it's such a fucked up move, though, when they do, because then they get to interview their victims and it's just like so fucking fucked up. But <laughs> yeah, also, he's a real idiot. He is a real idiot. And apparently the jurors could apparently see that he was enjoying the power trip. And, yeah. You know, being yeah. like, oh, look at me. I'm I'm a lawyer. That he made a fatal error. You see, when questioning a, one of the women about being pulled over or being pulled into the car by her attacker, mm-hmm. D. Laban described the car and the event in so much detail oh, God. that it was clear he had been there. Oh, my God. Yeah, so the jurors were like, oh, this douche. Yeah. By the time six trials were over, all with guilty verdicts, the other jurisdictions awaiting their chance at him decided not to get in line. So that was like the murders. They were like, all right, he's fine because... Well, six trials is going to cost like a lot of money anyway. He had been given two life sentences on Good. top of all the others, which amounted to about 375 years in prison. Good. And I hope he serves every <laughs> one of them. He would be over 100 years old before he was even eligible for parole. Mm-hmm. And they were like, uh, well, we're not, we're not going to charge we'll him. save our murders. money. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Right. And we all know he did it. Yeah. So, you know, clean their hands. Whatever. Most of those involved in the investigation believe that he's done far more than they yes. could uncover, I'm sure. both in number and degree of Well, because they probably couldn't identify all the women. Exactly. And, and they're like, who well, knows if when this he is... started. And if he's going from state to state and driving mm-hmm. around constantly. Yeah. And how many people don't report, you know, a crime like that because they're embarrassed right. or they don't think they're going to be believed or they have no information. Right. They can't identify him, so, yeah. Or, like, the woman who reported it, the um, storage unit, and they were just yeah, like, they didn't do okay, shit. whatever. Like, mm-hmm. women could have reported it, and they could have been like, oh, well, you don't really have any information, so I doubt this even happened to you, or you're, like, making it up. Or also, or how like, many, his... how many rape kits are, like, just sitting on a shelf that haven't even been right. tested yet? Right, and then... uh Oh, for him to, like, commit that murder in 71, who knows how many murders he committed before that. Exactly. That they just, like, couldn't tie to him or, you know. Exactly. So I'm and sure his, he did a lot. And because his M.O. is not, like, always the same. He yeah. He kind of changes his... He just likes torture and pain. So, like, mm-hmm. any way that he can do that. And, yes, most of his victims were women, but then he killed that right? man. So dude. it's, like, yeah. it's not always the same. They're not always the same age. They're not yeah. always the same... Not in the same state, like it's different states, yeah. so jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. He became the primary suspect in four, I believe, four additional murders and likely suspected in several more, as well as a lot of rapes. How do people like this exist? I don't how do you have five wives? I mean, yes, he was targeting like young women that he yeah. could control. Yeah. So like obviously like probably someone that needed to get out of their family situation mm-hmm. and he seemed like a good good deal like oh mm-hmm. he's i think he works hard he leaves the house every day and <laughs> goes to knows. work comes back with a lot of socks but like apparently he works at a sock <laughs> factory i think 
Plus, you're being beaten down. Mm-hmm. Um, it was said that in personality, he displayed the marked schizoid and narcissistic traits along with the symptoms of psychopathy. Mm-hmm. He also exemplified all of the outdated DSM-3R criteria for sadistic personality disorder. Which I think now would just be antisocial personality disorder with like psychopathic yeah, tendencies. Yeah, it said it said the the DSM four cites him as an example of both sexual sadism and antisocial personality disorder. So you were right on the money with that. Okay. He was characterized as having a Jekyll and Hyde personality whose demeanor could shift from affable to extremely cruel. Narcissism. Mm-hmm. Um, on January 26, 2011, D. Bartolabin died of pneumonia at the Federal Medical Center in Butner, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Butner. <laughs> Doing all that uh, mall passing out of his Butner. <laughs> Wait, you said 2006? 11. 2011. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So he did. You can all yeah. clap for that. Yay. Woo! <laughs> what a piece of shit. What a piece of shit, right? Is that the end of your story? That's the end. That sucked. Thank <laughs> that you. That was the fucking worst. <laughs> that was the worst. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus. They're disorganized. So here's my thing. People Mm who um, are psychopathic and sadistic and all of that, on one hand, they are kind of out of their minds because Mm -hmm. they're not they're not able to like relate to human beings. They don't have that empathy. They think that life is all about like power and control and not about like human connection. So on the one hand, they are kind of like, you know, out of their minds. But on the other hand, like they can see how other people relate to each other and they know that like they're not supposed to hurt people. Like they know that. Yeah. If you're going to be a part of a community, you're going to need to learn to work with others and that's a thing you... that can be learned if you practice it. It's just like yeah. practicing a lot. Well, I think a lot of time, I think empathy is learned. Like when you're little, you learn to be empathetic. You, you're like your parents and your teachers and all that is supposed to like all those people are supposed to teach you like, oh, it hurts when you pulled so-and-so's hair. Do you mm-hmm. want your hair to be pulled? No, because it hurts. <laughs> you don't want to hurt other people. You don't want to be hurt. You don't want to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, some kids are more empathetic but it's like a learned behavior is to have empathy so something happened to this guy where or is it that your brain's just different it could i mean it could be all of the above that like you had maybe a shit time growing up you weren't taught this stuff and maybe you were abused a little bit so maybe that did it but then also maybe you're predisposed to having certain like mom's talked about kids in her class who have like great families and she thinks they're like (laughs) that they were like sociopaths but also, you, I mean, 
you can't really 100% tell, even if you're a teacher, like, how their home life is. Well, no, that's true. I mean, like, you know, kids usually share how their home life is, and teachers know a lot more than you know, but I mean, sure. some, I, I don't know. I think that sometimes I feel like some people are just born that way, though. Definitely. Some people there, there do some have, things. like, a good upbringing, and then they turn out, like, fucked up in the head, and it's like, is it genetic is it like what is it i think it's like just a a soup like a crim a crime soup where like if you have just the right ingredients you're gonna yeah. make this thing happen yeah Ugh. why so, so why? toss salad for sure yeah he knew that he shouldn't be hurting people but he liked just- it like I said, if you hate women, then don't go near women. Yeah. Just leave, just leave us alone. If just, you don't like us, leave us alone. Just knock it off. Yeah, just go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a terrible piece of shit. That was a terrible story. I know. Imagine my dismay when I was just like, I don't even know where I found it, but I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like counterfeiting. <laughs> reading into that. And like the... The Murderpedia list just kept going. Like, I remember I was, like, dozing off one night trying to read it all because I was like, there's so much about, like, all these things. What the hell? And I didn't fully grasp it till the next day when I, like, re-read it. I was like, did I just read all this stuff last night? Because what the (laughs) fuck? I don't remember any of this. Oh, goddamn. Yeah, D-Bar to Layden, de-douchebag. The fucking worst. Disgusting. Well, if you're feeling gross after that story and need a shower, yes. try Humble Bee Herbal Bath and Body Products. They're all natural. They're good. It's a good, clean feeling. It won't leave your skin dried out. Good stuff. Great stuff. All natural. HumbleBeeHerbal.com. Code CRIMINY20 for 20% off your first order. Check them out. Check them out. Okay. Are you ready for mine? Uh huh. <laughs> so I don't know if laziness is like an asset or if it's like not good to have, but I've been like super busy. So I did the thing again where I found an article that was like amazing. Uh. And I'm basically going to tell you that article. <laughs> okay. So this article was written by Michael J. Mooney, and you can find it at dmagazine.com. Go ahead and go read it. Uh, it's a really good article, but like I said, I'm basically going to read it to you. So oh, okay. you don't really have to read it. Perfect. Uh, I also got some information from NBCDFW.com, which I think it's like an NBC local whatever. Down and then for from, work. Then from the BBC, too. Okay. Uh, also, I want to say that this, you know how I do my word count to find out if it's like long enough or whatever? Mm-hmm. My word count is exactly 5,000 words. How does what? that happen? I didn't even try. I just like finished writing it. And then I was like, should I add more? And then I looked at my word count. And I was like, no, I'm not no, going to add a single word more. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah, fucking amazing. Okay, so here we go. Nancy Howard had no idea someone was following her that day. Uh-oh. In the morning, she headed to the First Baptist Church in Carlton... Carrollton, not far Carol. from her home. <laughs> not far Carl. from her home. Oh. It's Carrollton. Carrollton. So Nancy was going to like a tea, 
you know, like afternoon tea or whatever at the First Baptist Cute. Church for a bunch of women. Mm-hmm. And she was hosting some tables. Mm-hmm. And her husband, Frank, helped her pack the decorations into her car before he left on a business trip a few nights earlier. Then after tea, she went home before going back to the church for a baptism service of a family friend. So by the time she left the Baptist church again, it was just before 7.30 p.m. And it was raining and there was a silver Nissan behind her. Mm-mm. On the way home, Nancy stopped at Taco Bueno. Oh, Taco Bueno. <laughs> That's a good taco. <laughs> And she got a steak fajita dinner through the drive-thru. Yum. I'm hungry. I know. Me too. <laughs> I want to go to Taco Bueno. What is Taco Bueno? No, I don't know. When I first read it, I like scanned over it and I saw Taco Bell. And then I saw Taco Bueno later. And I was like, oh, did they like mess up? And then I was like, oh, no, it's actually called Taco Bueno. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then the 53-year-old mother of three, she drove to her home. And she was, like, going to go watch some TV, eat her fajitas. So she... Excuse me. It's fajita. Oh, sorry. So she pulls into her garage, gets out of her car. She's got her purse. She's got her Taco Bueno bag. She's ready to watch some TV. Then she feels someone grab her around the neck and put a gun to her head. (gasps) Well, that'll make you drop your Taco Bueno. (laughs) So she heard a young man demand her purse. But then she couldn't quite register because she was in shock. So she kind of right. got away from him and then faced him. And and then she realized, like, oh, fuck, this guy has a gun. So she'd never seen this guy before. He was in his 20s mm-hmm. with facial hair. He was wearing a black baseball cap and holding a silver gun. And then he repeated Ooh. himself and yelled, give me your purse. So in a moment of panic, Nancy was like trying to give him her purse, but accidentally handed him the Taco Bueno bag instead. <laughs> like, no, dear, you want this instead. You must be hungry. This is why you're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Are you hangry? Then he like got super angry and she shoved her purse at him with both hands. And then she like kind of pushes him back, you know, uh-huh. and then he lifted the gun, pointed it at her face. And then <gasps> before he pulled the trigger, she cried out, Jesus, save me. A 38 caliber bullet entered her left temple, traveled <gasps> through her sinus cavity, down her throat, oh. and stopped Whoa. in her right lung. Whoa, that's a weird trajectory. Was he like way taller than her? I don't know, but that's pretty crazy. So the man. Because you're talking like a super downward angle, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Through her go... nasal cavity, down her throat. Well, left temple, sinus, then it like took a turn. And then went down. Weird. I know. That's really crazy. What the fuck? I don't know. So the man runs away with her purse and he he left the 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 taco taco bueno bag. What a waste. On the driveway where it was getting soaked with water and because it was raining. (sighs) Then Nancy is bleeding on the garage floor. I mean, not to be crass, but that's like two murders right there. The cow and Nancy. That's the... (laughs) Is that wrong? That's a little wrong. I mean, I think, yeah, cow murder for sure, but... Well, I mean, if you're just going to waste it... Yeah. I'm just saying, if you're going to rob someone, at least take their taco bueno. And she handed you the bueno bag. Grab the bueno bag. Eat it in the She's so frightened. She's she's not going to want to be... She's not going to be hungry (laughs) for taco bueno. She's all, you know, nervous. Like, jeez. Sorry. It's rude. So now we're going to backtrack. 
Nancy met her husband, Frank, in San Marcos. He had been married briefly in college, and Nancy had gone to the wedding, I guess. But Mm. the marriage didn't work out. So Frank's father, who was a Baptist preacher, married them in 1983. Then their first daughter, Ashley, came two years later. Then they moved to the suburbs of Dallas, and eventually they settled in Carrollton. And Carrollton. They they found, like, the church that they liked to go to in a good school district. Then they had two more kids named Jay and Brianna, and they all had, like, a happy life together. Hmm. Nancy said, we had a really awesome marriage. Frank was an accountant who shared a small firm with his business partner, and they had offices in Addison, which Nancy decorated, and they had more than 500 clients. So he was like, wow, he was running good. a pretty good accountant firm. Accounting firm. Nice. Nancy called herself accountant a firm. We're <laughs> in Texas. All our abacuses. <laughs> abacuses. <laughs> so Nancy called herself a domestic engineer. Whoa, so like that. that sounds fancy. Yeah, it's better than uh, a housekeeper, a homemaker, a domestic a engineer. Oh. oh, oh, what? <laughs> that was Just bad. Kidding, obviously. So, in addition to cooking and cleaning and keeping a schedule for her husband, she also made sure all of her kids made it to school on time and to all their activities. So she was engineering the shit out of that household. Yeah. She was also on the PTA, and she volunteered on most of the school field trips. So together, Frank and Nancy hosted one of the church's youth groups, and they sang in the choir on Sundays. Apparently, they had lovely voices. So it sounds like they're both, like, really involved parents. Yeah. Yeah. Loving family. Very involved. Their son, Jay, would later tell people, if the doors to the First Baptist were open, my parents were probably inside. Hmm. Although their marriage wasn't perfect, Nancy struggled right. with depression and she had fibromyalgia. Mm. At one point, Frank battled prostate cancer. Ooh. So their health problems were stressful, obviously, but it seemed like they always came through the other side, like stronger and better than ever. Nancy said, obviously, you go through your ups and downs. I mean, we weren't perfect. We had our issues from time to time and we always worked through those. So they would always have, like, serious discussions before they made any major business moves or big purchases. They worked together to present a united front to their children. And Nancy told people that she raised her kids to love, honor, and respect their dad. So when their youngest, Brianna, graduated from high school, Nancy looked forward to their empty nester years. And she was hoping they could, like, rekindle their relationship. Yeah, sounds like they have good communication already. Yeah, so they've established, like, a solid foundation. They're focusing on raising their kids, and now their kids are, like, leaving. They're going to hopefully, like, focus on each other and make a better, stronger marriage. Yeah. So in May of 2009, Frank told Nancy that he'd be taking on a new client and that he'd probably be traveling more often. Uh-oh. She was really okay. surprised that he didn't talk to her about it first because, like I said, they right. always discussed, like, major business moves. So Frank mm. told her that he hoped that he'd still be able to make her happy. So he's like, yeah, I decided to do this. I want to travel more. And also, I'm doing this for us kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So the new client was Richard Rayleigh. He was a Col- Colleyville businessman. 
And he, <laughs> listen to this. He made millions of dollars on a Defense Department contract supplying ice to troops in Iraq. Uh, what? Holy shit. Yeah. We can make ice. Yeah. Look, who always gets money no matter what? The Defense Department. So if we can get a Defense Department contract selling like random shit, sending it over like to the troops, you can make millions of dollars. You could be like this bag of ice that usually costs like $10. We're charging $100 or $1,000 even for this bag (gasps) of ice. Oh my God, we're so making ice. Yeah, we're selling ice to the troops. So his his longtime accountant had recently died, and Rayleigh needed help bringing more than thirty million dollars from Kuwait into the United States in ice money. Ice money, <laughs> frozen water Damn. money. Shit. He, I mean, here's the thing about that that I think. I mean, I understand like you're over there fighting, whatever. I don't agree with the war, whatever, whatever. On top of all that, though, you're in a fucking desert. Do you really need ice? Do we need to be, like, shipping you ice? Well, they're used to ice in their drinks. Okay. Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I just, like, the waste. I mean, seeing as how, like. How much money we spend on the military is just bullshit, but whatever. Well, I was just going to say that, like, ice is scarce elsewhere other than the United States, apparently. Because remember, like, being in Italy and having to pay extra for, like, five ice cubes in a cup? Yeah, yeah. No one eats fucking they count ice. Their, we don't they fucking, count their cubes. Yeah. Well, yeah. You shouldn't be expecting ice if you live in the desert. So, Cal, <laughs> looking at you. Okay. <laughs> he. Okay. So he offered Frank office space in Grapevine and the use of his private jet. And he eventually made the accountant his chief financial officer. So Frank okay. is doing good. Yeah. <laughs> Got a contract like that. Okay. Yeah. That summer, Nancy went on a mission trip to Africa with their daughter, Brianna, kind of like as a let's get, you know, let's spend time together before you go off to college. But when they got back, Frank picked them up from the airport and Nancy noticed that something was different. Something had changed. She couldn't quite put her finger on what had changed, but Frank was very rarely emotional on the way home, though, he broke down in tears. Oh. At the time, he was like, oh, I just lost a close family friend, but it was just kind of weird. But you'd be like, but, okay, you're my husband and we're super close. Wouldn't I know <laughs> yeah, a, a family yeah. friend that died? Right. Like, Well, maybe she knew that, maybe she knew that the family friend had died, but, like, it was weird that he was like, really emotional mm. about it and she's just kind of like right. like I understand like that him. you're grieving but also like you're not emotional about like anything so why this anyway uh, okay. so soon Frank was traveling all the time I mean he had access to a private jet so I can chat around mm-hmm. he <laughs> was in Florida then California then Europe and Kuwait and just like all over he'd call or email but Nancy was alone for long stretches and she wasn't happy she's like this isn't what I thought our empty nest was gonna look like like totally empty like empty yeah, and I'm the only too. one here <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, yeah like, be careful what you wish for so she was upset because she's like you're never here I never see you we like rarely talk this mm-hmm. new client is like destroying our marriage 
Right. She'd never met him, but she's like, he is, like, destroying her marriage. So, what's going on with Frank during all this? Why is he getting all emotional what and shit? What is going on? I mean, I bet you could guess. So, <laughs> Suzanne Leontief. Leontief. Her last name is mm. intimidating. Leon Teeth. She is a dental hygienist in her early 50s. Leon Teeth. Yeah. <laughs> From Santa Cruz, California. She had okay. two daughters and they played competitive softball. So she'd travel around to all their tournaments all over California. One weekend uh, in July of 2009, Nancy was in Africa at the time. Suzanne was at a tournament in Lake Tahoe. So Mm -hmm. between games, she's like, I'm going to go to Harvey's Casino and gamble Mm -hmm. a little because why not? Sure. Win in Rome. Win in Tahoe. Hit up those. Don't go to the lake and enjoy the like hiking and (laughs) scenery and beauty there. Just go hang out in a casino. Gotta have the flashy lights and the ding, 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 ding. Because that's so relaxing. That's that's the best part of Tahoe. Getting anxiety thinking about (laughs) being inside of a casino. Yeah, it's so gross. So, so overwhelming. She went to one table, and then there she met a man named Frank. Uh-oh. He said he was in town for business, and he seemed really nice. So they had some drinks, and they, like, talked for half an hour. And then she's like, well, I have to go. But, like, let's meet up later. They, like, met up later at a different mm-hmm. table. Then they gambled together for a few hours, and when she went back the next day, walking through the same area, she saw him again. So she's like, oh, I don't know why she's going gambling so much, but I'm not trying to judge. Anyway. I, I feel like people either gamble or they don't, you know? So it's Yeah, like, I guess. If you're there and you are a gambler, yeah. you're going to play. That's true. That's true. I just think Tahoe's like so beautiful. There's so much to do there. That's, it is beautiful. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's yeah, stuff that's outside and beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so you know, maybe like you're a, you're a gambler and your partner isn't, so they get to go enjoy that beauty and you get to enjoy your quote unquote beauty. Yeah, I guess so. So by Sunday, they had exchanged phone numbers, and he was like, "Hey, you have any plans for next weekend?" Ooh. Suzanne was married, but she was separated, and she was working on her divorce. So uh-huh. she also knew that Frank was married, but he told her it, that it wasn't going well. So she's like, I've been there, too. Uh-huh. I'm, like, going through my divorce. You're probably going to get divorced soon. We can, like, you know, we have things in common. Ah, uh, yes. That makes it helpful if you're going through the same <laughs> divorce, because otherwise it's like, mm, that's a red flag. You're not divorced yet, but you're now you're hitting on me, and you're, like, saying yeah. that you're getting divorced. Yeah. So he said, or uh, Suzanne said, he said he just hadn't been happy, but not miserable either. Which it's kind of so like. just like, uh, just kind of coasting. He's like toeing like the line. Like, I, yeah, nothing's bad enough to complain about, but it's just not what I want. Right. So they talked on the phone and texted throughout the week. And the next weekend he invited her to meet him in Reno. Then they talked about, like, her hu- her husband, soon-to-be ex-husband, and then he talked mm-hmm. about Nancy, and mm-hmm. a week after they met, Suzanne says, Frank was talking about divorce constantly. A few weeks mm-hmm. later, as Frank was creating holding corporations to move Richard Rayleigh's money, he named three of the companies after Suzanne. 
One mm. was called SLH, as in Suzanne Leon Chiff Howard, which was his last name. Whoa, mm-hmm. buddy. Slow your roll. Yeah, really. So they kept seeing each other every few weeks. But beyond that, he paid for her daughter's softball tournaments. He helped pay for Suzanne's oldest daughter's college. He rented and then bought a boat for $30,000. I mean, holy shit. But I guess if you're Suzanne, you're like, well, I guess he is really like divorcing his wife or whatever. If he's like committed to us now and helping us out. Supporting my children. Um, (laughs) In January of 2010, he bought Suzanne a house in Santa Cruz worth $900,000 that he paid for in cash. Holy shit. He also bought a condo in Tahoe worth like around $380,000. Oh, a condo. Then there were trips. He brought Suzanne to to a suite at like some kind of game, a Mavs game, which I don't know what that it's is. Like all all this time the other woman is just thinking he's traveling for, for work. work. Yeah, okay. In 2010 and then he took her to a Steelers game in Pittsburgh. He brought her to the Super Bowl the next year, which those tickets ain't cheap. He took Suzanne. It sounds like he's pretty balling in the money. Yeah. He took Suzanne and her daughters to a Giants game in San Francisco and to the Bahamas for seven days. And wow. when he when he could, he flew her on the private jet. And when he couldn't, he'd pay for her commercial flights, for their food, hotel rooms. And he would always. She's like, I hit the jackpot. Yeah. He'd always stay with her <laughs> even when she came to Dallas. So he lives in Texas, and she'd come out to visit him, and he'd stay with her. So Wow. He probably put her up in, like, a nice hotel. Sure. And he also... Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go out of town for the week. Don't look for me, honey. <laughs> yeah. He also started an IRA for her. He sent her what? a check for $500,000 and a wire what? transfer for $200,000. What? Then, when her divorce finally went through and she lost her health insurance, he put her on the payroll of Rayleigh's company, and he kept a framed photo of her in his office of a helicopter trip they had taken. What? Okay. Suzanne says they were in love, and they rarely fought. Uh I mean, what do you have to fight over? You're just, like, partying all the time. Just pay someone to do whatever you guys were fighting yeah, about. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> and when they did fight, it was about Frank getting a divorce. So he still hadn't gotten yeah. his divorce and Suzanne mm-hmm. was like, "Look, I want like I want to live with you. Let's like I want to move to Texas so we can like live together. You need to get a divorce, you know, the usual." But then he told her that he and Nancy had slept in separate rooms and that he was going to file for divorce soon, but there's always something, you know. Mm-hmm. There's always a reason why he couldn't. Mhm. So, what's Frank going to do? He's kind of, like, stuck, you know? He's, like, married. He's got kids. But he's also, like, giving all of his money or, like, a lot of money to, like, this other woman. This story gets, like, a little convoluted. So, just, like, stick with me if you can. I mean, theoretically, he... I mean, probably not. But allegedly, he, like, waited until all the kids were out of the house. They had a good marriage. And then he, like, went and did all this 
cheating or whatever. Yeah. So when Sue, so when Nancy and their youngest daughter were in Africa, that's when it kind of started. That's when he met her, met Suzanne. And I I just, I guess I just mean like he might've done it before with other people. He may have. I mean, he's like like, traveling all around and balling out of control mm -hmm. and he could have been. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, but apparently it only happened, like, it started happening after he took this job where he was, like, making a shit ton of money right. and had access to a right. private jet and stuff. So, yeah, I don't know if he that had an affair with someone else or what. You could just put it on the expense account or whatever. Yeah. And have to, oh. don't, won't show up on your credit like card Like that dude who was of, buying every meal at Ruth's Chris and putting it on the expense. Gotta get all the Ruth's Chris Gotta steaks. murder all the cows. Got See? to Themes. murder. Okay, so now we're going to talk about another person. I feel like I do this, okay. like, all the time. We both do. So you got it? Nancy, Frank, and uh, Suzanne. <laughs> Good. So now, Billy Earl Johnson, he was in his early 50s, and he had an affinity for methamphetamine. <laughs> He's Well, with a name like, what was his name? Billy Earl Johnson. Billy with, with an like I-E. Isn't that weird? That's a girl's I name. I know. That's what I thought. But he's a dude. I don't know. He spent more than a quarter of his life behind bars. Mm. I feel like, you know, meth will do that to you. It'll meth you up. I'm going to cut that out. He gets out in February 2009 and his younger brother, Chris, like, he, like, picks him up and he has a home for him in East Texas and he's like, we're going to get you out of here. Okay. So then Billy was at home in the town of Ben Wheeler, which, okay. Ben Wheeler. He's, like, hanging out and then his phone rings. And the man on the phone introduced himself as John. He told Billy that he had heard of him and that he was hoping he might help him with a job. The man what? said... How'd you get this phone number? <laughs> oh, no, I don't remember. I, I don't know. So the man said he <laughs> needed someone to kill his wife. What? So Billy agreed to meet John outside of Shepler's Western Wear, which is a store <laughs> in Mesquite. Amazing. <laughs> Western wear. When Billy showed up, there was only one other car there, and it was a gray Lexus. Billy got out of his truck and into the passenger seat of the man's car. John handed Billy a brown envelope containing $60,000 in cash, along with a photo of Nancy Howard. Oh, man. John told him to make it look like an accident. So after Frank gave Billy the money... Billy. Okay, so you're probably going to sit, tell me this, or I don't know, but is he like, he doesn't want to divorce his wife now that he's making hella money because if he divorces her, she's going to get mm-hmm. half of that. And mm-hmm. so he's like, well, she, well, we'll not only that, then... I'll get way okay. down the road. It's partially that, that he like, that he'd have to give her money and it'd be like messy, but there's like another part to it too okay. that they think. So mm-hmm. after Frank gave Billy the money, what do you think Billy did with that money? He went to Taco Bueno. He bought meth. <laughs> he oh. and his girlfriend. <laughs> I forgot that he was a meth head. Of course he bought meth. Yeah. He and his girlfriend, Stacy, partied for several days. And then, obviously, he was arrested soon after and charged with possession because he's, like, balling and, you know, probably just, like, oh, flashing his yeah. meth and money. Oh, yeah. So, so he's charged with possession. And what was left of the cash the police had confiscated, obviously, so mm-hmm. Billy eventually bonded out two days later and called John and was like, hey, I need more money. I'm out of money. I got arrested. They took my money. <laughs> so during this time, Stacy, she's kind of like 
I don't really know what's happening. We're having a great time partying. But if something happens to me, I need some kind of assurance. So she took a picture of the man in the Lexus and gave it to her mom and was like, this photo needs to like live on forever. If something happens to me, I need this as like evidence. So their second meeting took place at Texaco off Interstate 635, 635. Mm-hmm. Not seen that interstate, but I've not been to Texas. So <laughs> Billy says go. John gave him an additional $35,000. Uh, guess what Billy did with that money? He bought Taco Bueno. And lots math. of math. <laughs> so before long, he was in jail again and broke. Yeah, yeah. Billy, I mean, you can't the trust of life. a meth head. The, the circle, circle of meth. meth. <laughs> you can't trust yeah. a meth head. So Billy knew a man named Charlie Louderman. Billy asked Charlie if he could help get him some guns. Billy also offered him $700 a week to be a bodyguard and run like errands, be like a runner for him. Okay. Which, heck yeah, done. (laughs) So, So for months, he was like seeing what was happening with Billy and all of his, uh, he had, Billy had like a. Associates. Yeah. So Charlie says he often went with Billy to pick up large sums of cash, all from John. They met outside mm-hmm. a Walmart and in a corporate parking garage and at a Grandy's. I don't know what Grandy's is. Charlie. Rec- wait a second. Wait a second. Why is John giving him all this money? <laughs> I don't know. Because he wants him to kill his the wife fuck? and he keeps running out. He's so- like, oh, yes, I, I'll kill your wife. Oh, I'm going to need about 50000 Yeah. Oh, uh, he's I like, man, the police took it. I need more. And he's like, OK, yeah. No, what it's so is- good. It's so good. John, so- go find a new hitman. I mean, come on. Well, he. I mean, how is he going to find a new hitman? He doesn't know, like, shady people. Well, where did she even get this dude's number? <laughs> What is happening? So, so, like, in the stall of a bathroom, like, call this number for a hitman. I was like, great, I'll write that down. I don't know. I don't know how he got his number. So, Charlie recalls counting out $83,000 on his bedroom floor once. He watched as Billy traded stacks of money for bags of meth. He said that Billy told him early on that he was a hitman, but says that Billy claimed to be targeting a gang member who'd raped someone's daughter. Then Charlie says, when I found out it was a woman, I said, I'm not doing that. So Charlie's a stand-up meth head. But, well, it's like, of course, this is like a meth head's dream. Like, you just keep telling this guy, like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll do it it next week. I need more money. He's like, okay, here's more money. Oh, my God, he gave me more money again. We'll just buy unlimited meth. Yes, yes. So when Billy eventually introduced Charlie to John, he like did it over speakerphone and Charlie accused John of being an undercover officer and then being a drug dealer and then being a chicken shit. (laughs) (laughs) And also, can I get some more of that money? Uh, (laughs) Also, we need more money. money. (laughs) He also heard John plot ways to kill Nancy. He and Billy both remember John telling them to make it look like a home burglary. John told them that there would be $40,000 worth of jewelry and that they could set the house on fire afterwards to cover their tracks. He was worried about the fire maybe spreading to the neighbors' houses, but, you know, mm-hmm. collateral damage, I guess. John also said that Nancy regularly wow. met her friends for lunch at a certain spot, and he suggested firing an automatic weapon at the group, first shooting Nancy with a few rounds, and then spraying bullets around 
to make it look like someone just like oh went shot God. up the place. Like so, like she wasn't targeted. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So neighbors' houses what? don't matter. Nancy's friends don't matter. Nancy doesn't matter. Or perhaps they could do it at her book club or her scrapbooking retreat. <laughs> so every time that they got a plan in place, something went wrong. Because the... Billy's like, uh, I'll be right back. I swear, I'll be right back. Just drop me off here. Uh, I'll be back in about 20 minutes. And then like just doesn't show up. Well, also you got that like meth mind where you're like, okay, we're going to do this thing. And then you're like distracted. So then you have to spend like three hours like combing right. through a carpet or whatever because you're like fucking high as shit. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've never I've never combed this carpet before. <laughs> but also Stacy was trying to slow them down because she didn't want him to murder anyone. So she would like get them wasted so they couldn't leave the hotel room or <laughs> they'd end up in jail. So each time Billy had a new excuse for John who was like – getting more and more frustrated because he kept paying them money and they kept losing it or getting arrested or whatever. So at one point, Stacy remembers someone asking John why he wanted to kill his wife. And they were like, is it something legal or is it something personal? And he said a little bit of both. So Stacy's mm. like, fuck this guy. Let's just get money. And I don't want to kill his yeah. wife. Like, obviously, she didn't Keep do anything. getting money from him. Yeah. And Billy was kind of like okay. that, too, where he's like, I'm not trying to kill anyone, but this guy's giving us money. <laughs> yeah. So by late Shit. 2010, John was using burner phones and delivering money to Billy via wire transfers. But Billy and Stacy didn't have bank accounts. So Billy recruited family members like his children or uh. Stacy's mom, and he would let them keep 10 or 20 percent of everything that went through their accounts. So they were also making money. Okay. It's like, yeah. So at one point, one of Billy's sons got seventy five thousand dollars. And then Stacy's mom got twenty thousand dollars. Over and over for two years. John, what the <laughs> fuck? So more than $750,000 in total was going through Billy's son and Stacy's mom's accounts. Oh, my God. This is in addition to what Billy estimates to be about $1 million in cash and another $1 million in bail bonds because they kept getting arrested and he kept bailing them out. Oh, John. John, John. Billy bought himself a decked out Chevy Avalanche and his daughter a Firebird. He bought each of his three kids motorcycles and bought go-karts for his grandkids. He talked Damn, about saving Billy's up enough up. to open a shop. He bought a boat and a camper and a bunch of motel rooms where they'd party. This is all just him being like, I need more money. Yes. I'll do it next week. Yes. <laughs> Something happened. I couldn't do it. Also, I love how he's still getting motel rooms to party in, even though he's like rich as fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. He got a party in the motel rooms. He also bought Charlie a riding lawnmower and numerous assault <laughs> weapons. And then whenever he'd get arrested, which was like all the fucking time, John always wired the bond companies directly to bail him out. You know, I'm kind of for someone scamming a douche. Yeah, way to go, Billy. Fuck. (laughs) Live it up. You're living the dream. (laughs) He's like this fucking sucker. Like money, no strings attached, getting in and out of jail, like easy. What? (laughs) So at one point, Billy and Stacy were arrested in a Best Western in Uh Wood County with more than $10,000 in cash 
and enough <laughs> meth to get felony trafficking charges. Oh, you know that they swam in the money. Oh, in, yeah. In that motel Oh, room. yeah. They're like throwing it up in the air, rolling <laughs> yes. around in it, living yes. it up. So obviously they're in jail. And while mm-hmm. she was in jail, Stacy told an FBI agent about the plot to kill Nancy. She said it was such an outlandish story. People didn't really believe it. So she's telling like everyone and everyone's like, that's so fucking ridiculous. No. They're like, oh, this tweaker, like, of course, she's just making shit up. Yeah, she's but like, then no, also, really, there's it's a like, plot to follow hire. the money, right? <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you have so much money? You're not doing anything. So Charlie, <laughs> Charlie Louderman, the bodyguard, he also told authorities about the plot. He wow. was also jailed at one point in Wood County, mm-hmm. and he was telling them how Billy was making, was getting so much money from John. And how eager he was to have his wife murdered, but nobody like believed it really him either. Sounds fake. Yeah. yeah, it sounds fake. Like this guy. Wait, so this guy has been paying you yeah. for years. Yeah. to kill his wife. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's no sane person. No one is well, that no sane dumb. Person would hire someone to kill their wife, but yeah, no one's that dumb. At least, like, yeah, come on. <laughs> You get scammed once, you're like, okay, not again. But for years? I mean, it's kind of like that sunken cost fallacy. fallacy. Yeah, where it's like, why have I already yeah, like, spent so much money on you? I might as well. You're going to do it one of these days. I just know it. You have to. Shit. So, and like all this money that he's spending on doing this would have just been given to his wife if he had a divorce. So it's like yeah. he evens out anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's paying money like you know, for, like, his house or whatever, you know, with his mm-hmm. wife. He's paying money with his mistress. He's paying money to, like, this dude. This dude's, like, shelling out <laughs> big bucks. So by the end of 2011, Billy was back out of jail and offering to pay cash for his older brother's funeral. When his sister and his nephew came in from California, they were impressed by how much money he had, even though he wasn't employed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. by early 2012... His sister's son, Michael Speck, moved to Texas to get in on that money. Yeah, I want to be on the family business. Well, so <laughs> after more than two years of mishaps and delays and hella money, John was like starting to get really hard. It was like hard to put him off and be like, oh, it's just all these like crazy coincidences that we just can't do it. <laughs> So at this point, Billy also had nearly a dozen people like in his employ that he was like that were in on this scheme. And he's like a small business owner. Most (laughs) most of them were related to him through blood or marriage. And Billy says it started with just me and Stacy. It ended up a whole nest of people. So it's getting like too big for him even to like deal. Well, yeah, everyone's like, wait a second. You're making all this money. I don't ever see you doing any work. I want in on this. You're just scheme. like smoking meth and partying all the time. Yes, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so in late May of 2012, Billy arranged a meeting with John at the Bass Pro Shops in Grapevine. Much to Billy's chagrin, Stacy invited Michael and her son, Dustin. <laughs> John concocted a plan with Michael that involved tracking Nancy on a trip to San Marcos. He said he'd pay them the $10,000 of life insurance policy and $5,000 a week for the rest of their lives. What? What? 
Wow. But before anyone could go to San Marcos, as you guessed, Billy and Stacy were arrested again. <laughs> <laughs> this time, though, when Stacy called John from jail, he couldn't come up with the money to get them out. Hmm. After Billy and Stacy were arrested, her son Dustin moved in with Billy's nephew, Michael. He's the one who came from California. That's mm-hmm. when Dustin, who was 18, tried meth for the first time. Oh, honey. <laughs> Big mistake. Oh, honey. So with his mom and her boyfriend in jail, Dustin started contacting John directly, initially about bail money, but soon John is asking him to murder his wife. So yeah, on the 4th okay. of July, Dustin met with John and was given $24,000. John said that Nancy would be staying at the Gaylord Texan Hotel <laughs> soon for a Mothers of Preschoolers convention. Oh, He was going to no. have her murdered at a Mothers for Preschoolers convention. She does like all these innocent oh, things like scrapbooking God. and book club. And he's like, oh, murder her there or like lunch with her friends. Yeah. It's like, fuck. At tea time. She just seems like a Jesus. sweet person. Ugh, yeah. So John told Dustin woman. that he should use a baseball bat. He's like plotting oh all along. Oh my god! I know. I know. So, guess what Dustin does? He returns to East Texas and promptly spends all the money, On the same that? way that his mom <laughs> and her boyfriend would have done. He bought a big a bag of affair. meth and spent the night sharing it with strangers. Very yeah, generous. Gotta share. Yeah, you gotta, gotta share. share. That must have been like a huge <laughs> bag of meth. So. He also wished that everyone, he wished everyone he saw a happy Independence Day with a handful of $100 bills. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Yeah, so generous. And he filled his Facebook profile with photos of himself holding stacks of cash. Yeah. As you do. (laughs) At one point, he says several thousand dollars blew off the hood of his car in a church parking lot. He just like what? set down thousands of dollars. The wind comes and it's just oh, blown away. He's like, oh, well, someone else will pick it up, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, at least they're sharing the wealth. To, yeah. Like to be a person that went to that church that day. Oh, my like, God. Just oh, hundreds of dollars. Shit. Thousands of dollars. <laughs> Fuck. Like, oh, yes. God is looking out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So glad I came to church today. <laughs> So within two weeks, all that money was gone, obviously, and Dustin asked Uh John for more. John said, (laughs) I just love this so much. Yes, what? The audacity to ask for more. Yeah, yeah. He's not even Billy. It's like his girlfriend's kid. He's just like, oh, they're in jail, so I need the money. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he's got to take over the the family business. That's what you got to do. You got to do your duty. Yeah. So John said. the next in line. (laughs) So John said that he'd leave some cash by a water meter behind a house that he had owned, and Dustin brought a friend named Jason Rendine with him on the ride to East Texas, from East Texas to Carrollton. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're both high, and they got super lost. <laughs> yeah. So Someplace they've never been before. Yeah, okay. They spent hours driving through Nancy's neighborhood, stopping at several houses, and eventually they were pulled over, obviously, and asked to step outside oh. of the car. Can you imagine driving around the same neighborhood for hours, but you're like on meth, so you don't realize that you're like so obvious? You just like the same street over and over again. Just up and down, like backing down it, stopping at houses. 
little suspicious. So obviously when they got pulled over, Dustin was nervous. So he like stammered uh-huh. on about looking for his uncle's house. And then he said it was stepdad's house. And then he said it was a family friend that they called John. And he's just like super confused. <laughs> then yep. he blurted out that he was a hitman who had been hired oh. to kill a man's wife. <laughs> Did I say stepfather? I meant hitman. <laughs> I'm an uncle. I mean, friend. I mean, I mean, you know what? Really? Uh, I mean, I'm actually, I'm here to murder. I- I'm just here to murder someone. I don't. Do you know where this address is? I've been driving around all night. It would be really helpful. If you can help me find the money, I'll give you some of it. <laughs> you can have some of it. Well, half of it's meth now, but we'll give you some meth and some money. You, know. you guys ever smoke meth? It's fucking awesome. <laughs> can you turn on that light again? <laughs> so Dustin and Jason were taken in and there was a report filed, but... The officers thought it was, like, so fucking crazy. Obviously, he's just, like, <laughs> rambling on. He's, like, a meth head. He hasn't, he's, like, uh-huh. fucking out of his mind. Probably just high. So yeah. Dustin was let out a day later. And they were just kind of like, well, we got the report, but that's, like, outlandish. His friend yeah. Jason, though, believed him. And when he got out of jail, his wife was, like, super pissed. And then he told her what he'd heard and showed her the phone number that he'd copied off of a piece of paper. And she oh and he God. tells her, you'll never believe where Dustin is getting his money. <laughs> no, no one would ever believe. <laughs> so soon, Stephanie had a plan. They came uh-huh. up with aliases. This is like the best meth head logic. <laughs> yes. Like this story is amazing. Yes. So Wes and Tiffany were their aliases. Okay. They called the number. They told John that they knew all about his scheme and that if he didn't pay them, they'd go to the cops. I mean, little did John know they'd already gone to the cops. The cops don't believe shit. So it's like, it doesn't matter. So John agreed to meet them at a Whataburger in Garland. He showed up in a dark Lexus and gave Jason slash Wes an envelope with $3,100 bills. Within a day or two, they met again. And John gave them $12,000. A few days later, it was a wire transfer for $20,000. So within a week, these people made like $15,000 just by calling this dude and being like... making a phone call. Yeah. What the fuck? We know what happened. Oh, shit. Wow. This guy, he's just bleeding money. But then... He's he's making his... Oh, because his stupid... Dumb, he's just an dumb, idiot. Okay. But then dumb. something happened that Jason and Stephanie didn't anticipate. John started calling them and he was persistent. <laughs> he wanted to talk to Wes, which was Jason, and he wanted to know mm. if they knew anyone who could get the job done. <laughs> Stephanie said <laughs> that John offered them a $50,000 finder's fee. And $100,000 to whomever did the deed. So so she dyed her hair black and told John that she was Tiffany's sister (laughs) named Stephanie, which was her real name. And then she got another $10,000 in cash. Oh, so later, later, an attorney would ask Stephanie about this interaction with skepticism. The lawyer asked, do you really think he's that stupid? And she replied, he is. <laughs> yes. You just call some number. You don't even like get any facts that they know anything. Uh-huh. And then you're just handing out money. Then you dye your hair and you're like, yeah, I'm her sister. I need money, too. And I he's like, OK, here you go. <laughs> and then he just she just like, what? 
puts on a different hat and like a different dress and she's like oh i'm i'm liffany tiffany and britney's sister and it's like oh my god how many sisters do you have <laughs> well we all need money we're octuplets we and we all need money yep all of us need money <laughs> So phone records indicate that while John was in touch with Dustin, Jason, and Stephanie, he was also communicating with Michael Speck, who was the nephew. When Billy called John from jail at the end of July looking for bail money, John told him that he had given the last of his money to Michael. So Michael Speck, Billy's nephew, he Uh had a cellmate named Michael Lawrence. So there are two Michaels now. Oh, good. On oh, good. <laughs> August 14th, Michael Speck, the nephew, sent $1,000 mm-hmm. to his old cellmate, Michael Lawrence. Okay. I'll call Michael Lawrence Lawrence for, okay. you know. There, yeah, that's better. So he told him and his girlfriend, Misty, to come to East Texas. They drove Misty's Honda and made it about 24 hours because the Honda had, like, a fucked up tire. So instead, they rented... <laughs> They rented a silver Nissan when they arrived. Mm-hmm. Misty said that she and Lawrence spent most of the trip at Michael's house hanging out with the extended family. She thought it was just going to be like a little vacation that he was paying for for some reason. <laughs> On August 18th, she says Michael and Lawrence left the house early. They told her that they were taking the car to Dallas to do some sightseeing and some side jobs. So oh, it's never good when you say sightseeing and side jobs. <laughs> so the two Michaels, to murder. the two Michaels head into the big city together. Okay. When they got back from their big trip, Misty said that they had been drinking a lot and Lawrence normally didn't drink a lot, but that night he was like super drunk and he was also really quiet. She said, usually he doesn't shut up. So she thought that was kind of weird. So that when they were alone in a bedroom, she said that he told her that he'd murdered somebody. He <gasps> said that he'd shot a woman in the face. Oh, shit. So nearly two months. She's like, this vacation sucks. I know. <laughs> nearly two months later, she broke off their engagement. And yeah. in January of 2013, she went to the Carlton police. Sorry, Carrollton police. Carrollton. Carrollton. So now we're back to that day when Nancy was shot. Nancy isn't sure how long she lay unconscious in her garage. She said that she heard God's voice calling her. Get up, she heard. Get up. She pulled herself up using a metal table but fell back down. So she started to crawl. She crawled kind of like an army man, she said. Yeah. Her phone was in her purse, which was gone. So she crawled toward her car, hoping to use the OnStar button. Oh. Remember OnStar? Do they still have yeah, that? I think so. Where it just like records everything too. But she opened, so she opened the car door and hoisted herself up, putting bloody handprints on everything she touched because she's like, there's blood yeah. everywhere. She finally got close enough to push the button, but without the keys that were also in her purse, it didn't work. <gasps> oh, so no. that's a, not a good feature. She's like slipping on her own blood. Oh, no. But she manages to walk into the house, into the laundry room, and then she stops in front of a mirror and saw her face, and it's just, like, blood everywhere. Bits of her skin are, like, torn. She'd just been, like, shot in the head. Oh, my God. I can't believe she's, like, conscious. Yeah. Yeah. And then her purse, I mean, her shirt is, like, 
brown with blood. She was missing her left eye. And there's just like this gaping, gushing like hole where her eye should have been. Oh, my God. She managed to dial 911. And she said, Lord Jesus, help me. Oh, my God, help me. And on one of the articles I read, they have the transcript. No, like the actual you like push play and hear the call. Did you do it? No, I didn't. (laughs) she said that she'd been shot she gave her address and begged the operator to stay with her on the line and she was still conscious waiting at the door when police and ambulance arrived holy amazing amazing a police officer who knew the family through church called nancy's children ashley called her father who was at reno in reno at a casino with suzanne at the time She was gambling, and he was at the bar watching a Cowboys game, which I don't know why that's important. But anyway, there were a lot of sports in here. I included them, but they're not – they don't mean anything to me. So when Ashley told him that Nancy had been shot, Frank began to cry. He collapsed by the casino door and needed Suzanne's help to walk, which – so dramatic. And also, Suzanne, it's been, like, two-plus years of this guy just giving money to some random place, and then, like, he's still like, ah, yeah, I'm working on that divorce. Don't worry about it. Well, in in her world, though, she's, like, getting trips. She's getting money. She has a house. Like, she's being taken care of. She's getting, like, money. It's kind of like, well, I'll just wait. It's fine now. That's true. Eventually, it'd be cool, but you spend, like, all your time with me anyway, and we're basically, like, together, so... What's it matter? Oh. Wow. So she dro- so Suzanne drove him to the airport, but there weren't any flights to Dallas that night. He called up Richard Rayleigh to ask to use the private jet, but he was like, the pilot's already in Texas. It's not possible. So eventually Suzanne drove him four hours to the San Jose airport where he caught the first flight out in the morning. When he landed, he rushed to his wife's bedside. He didn't tell police about Suzanne, obviously, but when they looked at his phone, it was they could tell that he was, you know. (laughs) Over the next week, he had a series of painful talks with his children and with Nancy, who was still in the hospital. He told them that he'd been having an affair and that it had been going on for more than three years. But he maintained oh that he had nothing to do with the shooting. Oh, my God. He's like, while we're all here in this hospital, mm-hmm. room, I guess I just better spill the beans. Well, and I'm just I only want I only want to say this because I'm somehow trying to not look suspicious in this. He's a good Christian man. He had to confess about yeah. the affair. Uh, after three years, I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit, she survived. Uh-huh. God damn it. Uh-huh. Now I got to figure out. It wasn't me. So Nancy was super heartbroken about the affair, but she believed him that he didn't have anything to do with the shooting. When police showed up at the house and arrested her husband, she insisted that there was like a mistake, that he couldn't have done it. Wow. Then when police checked surveillance footage from the church, they saw the silver Nissan following Nancy out of the parking lot. Carrollton detectives were eventually given the police report from the night that Dustin was pulled over in Nancy's neighborhood and claimed to be a hitman. So like putting the pieces <laughs> together. So they like, brought... Oh, he wasn't just high. No, they brought Dustin down to the police station and over three days interrogated him. Eventually, he shared everything that he knew about the plot, about the murder for hire plot. 
Police also got word from the jail that an inmate named Billy Earl Johnson was claiming to have information about the shooting. Now they're all just like, yeah, we'll give you like the whole story. Everyone's like, fuck it. (laughs) This dude gave us so much money. (laughs) Like, what a sucker. So detectives were shown the pictures of the money man. Everyone knew only as John. The photo that Stacy had sent her mom. As insurance. Oh. Way to go, oh, Stacy. Yeah. And of course, they knew that the man, John, was actually John Franklin Howard. So he goes mm-hmm. by Frank, but he gave them his real name. Like, he's John. He's such an idiot. So <laughs> when Misty Ford told detectives what she knew, police could connect the silver Nissan to Michael Speck and Michael Lawrence, who were both in the Denton County Jail at the time. (laughs) So easy to find. It's easy to track all these people Uh down. The duo were originally charged with aggravated robbery and conspiracy to commit capital murder, but Lawrence had since been re-indicted for aggravated assault only. The accusations shocked people who knew Frank. He'd always seemed so trustworthy. We thought he was the epitome of a good Christian man is the way Nancy's aunt puts it. During his bond hearing, the courtroom was packed with supporters. They were just like, he can't do it. Well, yeah, because it seems like his track record is he's just been like, you know, family man and like doing all his things and working hard. and Except for he's he's not a good Christian man if he's having a three-year affair. No, yeah. I mean, up until that point, and then people don't that know him don't know about his affair. They just think like, oh, he just goes, he just travels a lot for work yeah, or whatever. Like so he's dumb. outwardly pretending that he's like in a happy marriage while like when he's not with his girlfriend. Yeah. So when Frank was out on bail, his daughter, which I don't know why he got bail, but whatever. His daughter, Brianna, Money. got married. Uh, And because she wanted her daughter to have the wedding of her dreams, Nancy wrote to the court asking if they could relax the conditions of Frank's bail for one weekend so he could go to the wedding. Nancy. She doesn't believe that he had anything to do with it. No. Frank's trial took place in August of 2014. Billy Johnson and Stacey Serenko, both brought over from the jail, talked about getting that first call and stringing the defendant along for more than two years (laughs) and for millions of dollars. I think they're the smartest people in the group. They are. They are. (laughs) Ashley, Jay, and Brianna, they each testified for their father, telling the jury what a kind and compassionate man they'd always known him to be. Wow. Yeah, and then another article said that they they weren't always in the courtroom, but when they were, they were always, like, sitting behind him on his side, like, supporting him. So it was, like... I wonder what happened. Like, it seemed like his track record up until, like, the affair, up until, like, getting a job that had a bunch of money, a a payout. Yeah. Like, was it the money? He was, like, an accountant. He was doing... I mean, he was obviously doing well. He had, like, 500 clients. He was doing well as an accountant. And then he, like, the money just, like, went to his head, I guess. And then he met Suzanne. And then that was, like, it. Wow. Well, but there's more to it. So... Okay. The trial lasted nearly three weeks, but the jury only took two hours to convict. So, strong Uh, case. uh (laughs) During Frank's sentencing, Richard Rayleigh took the stand... He was also in jail because of a prescription pill-related charge. So Rayleigh (laughs) told the jury over a three-year period, Frank had systematically embezzled more than $30 million from him. (gasps) 
Holy shit. So that's that's the other part of it. So Frank, like, obviously didn't like his wife and didn't want to give her, like, money in the divorce. But he also thought that once he went, got a divorce, then it would expose his embezzlement. So he couldn't risk that. Because they're going to be looking into his accounts. Yeah. And like, seeing, oh, let's divide all this shit. Where yeah, did all this money come from? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so he's really not that. I mean, maybe as soon as he got the job from Rayleigh and realized like, oh, I'm like the lead financial advisor or whatever. I could just like start skimming off the top mm-hmm. of no all that ice money. I'm the one that I'm the top of the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So during closing arguments for the sentencing process, Denton County Assistant District Attorney Jamie Beck encouraged the jury to pursue the maximum sentence of life. Beck said he plotted day after day, week after week, month after month, as he lived in the same home with Nancy Howard, all the while conspiring, planning his wife's execution. Mm-hmm. Which I would add oh year God. after year, and he's living in this house with her, pretending like all's well, while telling people to like hit her over the head with a baseball bat or spray her friends with bullets at their like lunch that they Meanwhile, go to. Meanwhile, like half half the time he's like living with his girlfriend. Yeah, flying around, That's going fine. on these like amazing trips. So the defense urged jurors to explore other options for their client, including probation or a lesser prison sentence. Which I know is their job, but, like, really probation. Right. <laughs> he embezzled $30 million and plotted to kill his wife for years. And I'm assuming, like, fucked her up. Yeah. Her eye yeah, is missing. Yeah, her eye is missing. I'm sure she's got health problems now. Yeah. His defense attorney said he's 50-something years old. There's not going to be a rehabilitation in prison for him. But I feel like prison's not to rehabilitate him. He fucked up. It's to, like, keep him away from society because he's horrible. He also said that Howard never had any prior convictions and had cooperated from day one of the investigation, which really he didn't because he was like, oh, I had the affair, sure, but I didn't plot to kill my wife when it's like, yeah, you fucking did. Right. But that's what I'm saying. It's so weird that, like, he went from, like, zero to 100, but not really because it's not like he went out and tried to kill his wife. It wasn't like he other than just being like come on someone else do it come on I'll well yeah you when money. you're so rich and you can just pay everyone to do everything for you then you can like mm-hmm. you know for him yeah he was like planning it theoretically but it's also like a one step removed yeah. yeah you don't even have to be there he didn't want to be there when it happened even like mm-hmm. it's just like well i'm gonna out of sight out of mind i'm gonna pay someone to do this and then not worry about it it's just gonna happen and and then I'll play the grieving husband. And and I'll get the life I, I want. On. I'll marry my, like, mistress and keep embezzling mm-hmm. all the money that I want to and live this lavish lifestyle. Wow. Yeah. So maybe it's just because, like, I'm an honest person, but I feel like if you get a good job <laughs> where you have access to someone's private jet, also don't fly private jets because it's destroying the environment. <laughs> but if you have, like, a job where you have access to someone's private jet and you're making, like, hella money... Why wouldn't you just be, like, an honest person about it? Because money money creates greed and... Yeah, but clearly you, you have enough. Oh. More. It's never enough. Oh. You need more. Yeah, also private more. jets are fucking awful. Destroying the earth. <laughs> so, the jury sentenced Frank to life in prison. Uh, all three of his children were angry and they left the courtroom without saying goodbye to their mother. Wow. Yeah. 
After sentencing. What? Yeah. After the sentencing, Nancy took the stand one last time and spoke directly to John. She told him that she had loved him dearly, only to have him attempt to take everything from her and rip their family apart. Yeah. At one point, she even referred to him as John, saying they were no longer on a first name basis as she didn't know him anymore. Seriously, like in her mind, everything's fine. My husband just like has a job where he's gone half the year now. And she just wants to like rekindle their relationship because she like loves him mm-hmm. and he's like plotting wow. to murder her. Fuck. As she's going him. to her like mothers of preschoolers meetings and like <laughs> scrapbooking club. It's like, what the fuck? So Frank Jeez. would have the opportunity at parole after serving 30 years. Nancy now has a prosthesis painted to match her right eye. It still gets dry and it sticks and that hurts. Every morning she has to get up and wash her eye to ease the pain. Speaking of washing eyes. Continue. Oh, (laughs) okay. You seem to think it was inappropriate. I did think that was inappropriate. (laughs) I did. We'll add it in later. Okay. Okay. Uh, And the prosthesis still falls out occasionally because her eyelid doesn't have any muscle to hold it in place. Oh, shit. She used to be very touchy-feely, but nerve damage in her arm makes hugging painful. Oh, she already had the fibromyalgia. I know. She can't hug. And because the bullet went through her sinuses, she's lost her sense of smell and most of her sense of taste. So now eating's not even fun. She has, like, nothing. She was in the hospital for more than two weeks. She has had multiple reconstructive procedures, and she can't help but feel insecure about her appearance. Her family was worried that she might lose her singing voice. Uh, because she had a collapsed lung and was coughing up bits of tissue from her throat when police arrived. But she returned to singing in the choir. Wow. At 53, she was living alone for the first time. She does some part-time nanny work, but she was looking for a full-time job. It's not what she expected to be doing at this point in her life. She said, I'm trying to find my way. I was a homemaker for over 20 years. That's what I did. That's who I am. Now my kids are all over the country. It's a struggle. Her relationship with her kids is strained. They've been in close contact with their father the whole way through. And they believe him when he maintains his innocence. So she understands why her kids feel the way they do. Because Frank is still their dad. And she raised them to, like, respect him and honor him. That. But that's a little extreme. It's too much. I mean, who else would want your mom dead? And the jury convicted in two hours. Like, they don't do that. They don't send someone to yeah. life for prison for two hours unless it's, like, open and shut. And they should have been in the trial the whole time because then they would have seen all the evidence that said he did it. Hmm. And even if there's, like, a chance that he did it, why? And your mother's the one that's, like, hurt. Why are you not going to see her? Why are you not in her life? Yeah. Why don't you love and honor yeah. your mother? Regardless of if he did it or not, something happened to your mom. Yeah. And one Ugh. of the one of the article, one of the things that caught my attention was something said, like, she, she'd, like, forgiven him for the attempted murder. And she wasn't, like, that upset about the attempted murder. But she was more upset that he had had an affair. <sighs> I know. I don't know. I don't know. That's just tragic and always. Horrible. God, he's horrible. He is horrible. He could have literally been like, 
I want to get a divorce. Yeah. I will like make a settlement with like our lawyers will meet or whatever, and I'm gonna offer like X amount of money. Well, and, and I don't take know it her, but it seems like she probably would have been like heartbroken, but not like evil yeah. about it. I doubt she'd have like hired a lawyer to like get at him. You know, she probably would have just been like, "Well, I would hope that you'd change your mind," but she'd probably be agreeable about it. I'd just be like, "I'll take whatever, whatever," and. You know, you already paid out millions of dollars to these meth heads. That could have been alimony, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could have just paid her off. Yeah. <laughs> like, jeez. Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's horrible. <laughs> that, yeah. That poor woman. Yes. I do love that these meth heads strung this guy along for years, though, and got, like, dude, a shit ton of money out of him. Best scheme ever. Like, sure, yeah, I'll kill your wife, dude. Just, uh, give me some more of that money. Oh, uh, in jail yeah, again. Yeah, totally oh. gonna do it. <laughs> Plans foiled in jail again. And Need I love money. how the one, the girlfriend was basically like, well, I don't want him killing anyone, so I'll just get him, like, super wasted so we can't even, like, He's like, all right, I'm going to yeah. do it tonight. And she's like, oh, but look, I have meth and alcohol. And he's like, okay, right. not first. Just can't, we'll just cash in. We'll just keep him, like, drunk and mm-hmm. then uh, never have to go through with any of it. But just keep getting that money. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad a scrambled egg. Frank was obviously a toss salad because he could have stopped it at any time and he just like kept paying them and plotting with them. The fact that he was like part of the planning and was like giving them all these opportunities where other people were going to die or like, ugh. I think uh, Stacy's the smartest one. Stacy had it figured out. <laughs> or no, what was it? Uh, well, Stacy, but also um, Stephanie. Stephanie. Right? Yeah. Stephanie, the the one that had a sister. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany. With her real name. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. Yeah. She got money Double for dip. literally nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, her boyfriend, though, for like writing down that phone number that he happened yeah. to see. And yeah. he's like, oh, this is how he's getting money. We can get money. And she's like, oh, Bunch yeah. Geniuses. Yeah. They're the ones. <laughs> this is all untapped genius. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah, what could they be doing if they weren't smoking meth? Like, amazing things. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, John is a toss salad for sure. Yeah, he and... sucks. <laughs> Poor Nancy. Poor Nancy. Poor Nancy. I just feel so bad for her. She's like this innocent house mother who is doing like the most innocent things and like living her life. Mm-hmm. Dicks. Someone's got to ruin something all the time. All the time. But then it's like you have, I guess maybe it's just because it's really hard to find like good jobs these days. You have like the best fucking job and then you just like ruin it by stealing from your boss and like trying to kill your wife. Like, <laughs> yeah, you just, you know, take it a step or two or three or 10 too far. And, uh, it's a slippery slope to murder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Apparently. You want to do crime any sakes? Yeah. And now for the portion that we like to call crime any sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. Okay. Ready? Uh, if you have uh, one, yeah. I I have one. I don't remember where I got it from, but it's uh 
It takes place in St. Petersburg, Florida. 33-year-old Florida woman Melinda Lynn Guerrero was arrested after refusing to leave a mobile gas station and telling officers her name was My Butt Just Farted. (laughs) What? Guerrero was detained after refusing to leave the gas station. When officers asked her name, she repeatedly told them it was My Butt Just Farted. Luckily, Guerrero has her last name tattooed on her back, helping officers identify her. This isn't Guerrero's first time being arrested. She was recently arrested for drinking in close proximity to a St. Petersburg Shell gas station. It is believed that Guerrero may have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol. She's been charged with providing a false name and with trespassing before being released on her own recognizance. Okay. So talk about clever fake names. <laughs> so clever. See, this is why that, that just it needs to be someone's job to name things. <laughs> exactly. So you go to like to a database a for like clever names of people or crayons or crimes mm-hmm. or. Crayons okay. and crimes. I have one from kind of a weird website. It's 1888drugcrimes.com. But Sick. says, Beverly Hills surgeon turns fat from liposuction into diesel fuel for his car. Some people enjoy enjoyed eating their french fries and may have helped save the planet. A California doctor is alleged to have turned human fat obtained from liposuction into biodiesel fuel to power his SUV and his girlfriend's car. I have not I mean, personally not? read California law, but several publications claim that it is illegal under California law to use human medical waste to create fuel to power cars. <laughs> How is that a law? <laughs> An attorney who is representing some of the doctor's patients filed a medical malpractice lawsuit claiming that the doctor removed too much fat, causing disfiguring injuries. <laughs> oh I wonder God. if the He's patients like, oh, who paid for liposuction received a discount or at least a free tank of gas. I mean, I'm wondering if he just had it like in small print in in his like you know, got a sign here. A waiver. I'm do surgery. Your waiver, and it was like, and also may use some of your byproduct to make my car go. Byproduct. It's like, well, you're not <laughs> I mean, using it, and it's trash. Yeah, it's going in the trash. Aren't you here for like, me to take out all the fat? Me? I'll just take all the that I can. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be great. You won't have to come back for a second job. Like, I'll just get it all in one go. I'll get all the fat. All of it. (laughs) (laughs) I do a thorough job because I need my car to go. You know what? You know how I'm, like, obsessed with plastic surgery gone wrong and stuff? (laughs) I've noticed Mm -hmm. that, like, people who get liposuction, like, on their tummies in particular, you can tell. Like, even if it's not a botched job or whatever, their stomachs just look weird. Hmm. They're like belly buttons all look like kind of it just looks weird. It doesn't look natural. You think more than more than him, more than one doctor's taking the, the <laughs> taking to too much. Make the car go. Well, yeah. I did. I did actually read that. I think Tara Reed, she whoever did her liposuction took too much. So then she had like ripples on her stomach because oh. they took like too much of the fat out. But other people, when they take fat out, like I feel like you're supposed to have some fat on your stomach, you know, to make it look yeah. like normal. But they do it so it like looks all flat. I don't like that. I don't like that either. And then their belly buttons look weird. Huh. I've not looked at too many belly buttons. uh, I'm not looking at the liposuction. No, but you can tell. I'm just putting it out there. You can tell when people have had liposuction. 
and you're like, I bet her doctor or his doctor has a nice car that runs on human biodiesel. I mean, except for now that people are getting their like Brazilian butts where they want the fat put back into their bodies. It's like, that was a good gig for a while for them. <laughs> Take the fat out. Like, well, you don't have any use for it. I'll just put it in my car. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, put that in my butt. And they're like, damn it. Do, do you think, you know how like other cars that run on like biodiesel or like vegetable oil yeah. or whatever? Smells like French fries when they drive around. Ew, what does a car that runs on humans... That's what I'm saying. Do you think it smells like French fries? Doesn't it smell like pork? That's what I've heard before. (laughs) Aren't we like giant pigs? Not even giant. giant Pigs are giant. We're like small pigs. We're like pigs with extended arms. Yeah. But like not 400, 500 pounds. Well, some of us. (laughs) Well, you know. Yeah. Anyway anyway that was good that was wow. good one. that was great yeah <laughs> yeah so yes oh. uh very tragic for nancy and her kids fucking suck but uh yeah. your story was terrible wow and but but she survived she That's survived great. yeah but yeah my story sucked too yeah but that's what we signed up for <laughs> yeah <laughs> And that's what you all signed up for, too, who are listening. Thanks for tuning in this week again. Yeah. And tune in next week for another show. And, and check out our sponsor, Humble Bee Herbal. They're going to come out with some holiday stuff. Gift boxes. Check it out. Gift shopping made easy, especially this year when we're not going to like get together for holidays. You can just have it mailed to someone's house. Really nice, mm-hmm. thoughtful self-care gifts and crime 20 at checkout for 20 percent off your first order also rate review subscribe email us at crime podcast at gmail.com instagram crime podcast yada 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 blah 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 okay bye, <laughs> <You're> bye. <laughs> <laughs>